This one that people have been asking for for a long time, The Best of the Funniest Moments, Volume 1. I have nothing funny or pithy to say here, so let's get right to the action. Jim Cornette's Omnibus, The Funniest Moments, Volume 1. If you think I don't do anything also, there's, there's another service that I am asked often to perform. And sometimes I wonder why I think maybe they don't listen to this show cl- as closely as one would think they might. But a lot of people email me, Brian, and say, how do I get into the creative end of the business? How do I become a writer? <clears throat> and I, I genu- generously and, and sympathetically usually just delete these without answering what comes through my mind, right? About, yeah, I'm, I'm almost out of high school. I'd like to become a writer for a major wrestling promotion. But I did get an angle pitched to me here, and, and I'm not going to reveal this person's name so as not to hold him up to too much level of public ridicule. But I want to share this email with the listeners because this is one of the emails, the likes of which I'll, I get a lot, asking if they can, you know, potentially be in the writing in, create storylines, as they say. <clears throat> um, and this is from Unnamed. Uh Hello, Mr. Cornette. I had an idea on a wrestling storyline and was wondering if you feel it would work in a major promotion like WWE, TNA, ROH, etc. The idea is that it starts showing a few wrestlers from the roster on Mars when a storm comes through and forces them to leave. However, one of them is accidentally left behind and stranded on the planet. He or she then has to survive and stay sane while everyone on Earth tries to organize a rescue mission to bring them home. This progresses over several weeks slash months with a new video shown every week between some matches to give an update on the person stranded and the rescue efforts. Um, what do you think so far, Brian? Could, could this possibly work? Would you like to hear more? Um, is he writing for the Hardy Boys? Because it may work for them. Um, well, he, he goes on to say, I, I know there's likely a couple of questions after hearing the basic idea. Firstly... What's the point to this? The overall point is. That's my question. All right. <laughs> the, the overall point is to get the person stranded on Mars over with the crowd. You make the crowd feel bad for the stranded person on Mars and want him or her to get home safely. Wait, what? <laughs> Shut up. When they when they finally do and reappear on the show or pay-per-view, they should get a huge pop and will be mega over. This can also be used as an opportunity for a face turn, as a heel could want to help the per- get the person back to Earth. The second, <laughs> the second question would likely be, 
How did they get to Mars anyway? <laughs> I'm not sure that would have been my first question. I like, I like the idea of, of him being over big as a baby face when he returns. Just, my God, he's back from Mars. Here he is. <laughs> Uh, but let's back up here. The second question would likely be, how did they get to Mars anyway? Basically, it would be part of the company's space program. They're sending, <laughs> they're sending people to other planets and the moon to investigate and see whether or not it's possible to hold shows there. As the company was to be the first to hold a wrestling show off planet. <laughs> That's the main idea. Some more details could be worked out in the future if, when this story is <laughs> picked up by a company. Thank oh, Please submit more. Please. Uh, the WHS Crusade for Children this past weekend. The final total, I believe, was over $5.6 million this year that they have raised for the special needs kids in Kentucky and Southern Indiana. And over the, this was the 65th annual over those 65 years, I believe they're up now to over 180 million bucks. So that is, and it's still the, the, the biggest uh, of its type in the country fundraising effort like this. And I mean, and I love watching the telethon every year because by the way, our old uh, OVW fire department, the McMahon fire department was the number one fire department out of course, every, fire department within 100 miles uh large and small uh participate but mcmahon was biggest because they got i believe it was like a 60 something thousand dollar bequest from somebody this year uh but they ended up i think raising over one hundred fifty thousand dollars themselves but they give tv time also to the two little black kids it's like seven years old that that raised 74 dollars at their lemonade stand in the west end and then they'll bring in this major corporation that that you know has some way or another donated six figures and everybody gets their time so it's fucking great but the the highlight for me and i caught this i, I didn't watch the whole 24 hours so i caught this and it was i popped randy atcher and that name will mean nothing to you but for all the listeners in louisville all three of them um, Randy Atcher actually came back to Louisville and played on this year's crusade. Randy Atcher in the 1940s and fifties was a, uh, employee of WHAS radio and television when it was owned by the Bingham family. And uh, that they also owned the courier journal that my father worked for. And Randy Atcher, not only was a, he was a, um, a, a station personnel, but also, he was a musician, a country musician, and he had, he not only hosted for like 20 years Hayloft Hoedown, which was the highest rated local program in town where they had a country music show from the studios of Channel 11. And they were actually good. They had some great fucking talent in those days. Uh, but also he hosted T-Bar V Ranch in the mornings. Every morning at 9 o'clock for like 20 years on Channel 11, every kid in in Louisville grew up watching this fucking show. With, with Randy's cohort was... Cactus Tom Brooks, imagine Festus on Gunsmoke, uh, but as a rodeo clown. And he was the brother, by the way, of Foster Brooks, a uh, noted comedian who everybody who watched the Dean Martin roast will remember. You know who Foster Brooks was, by the way, Brian. You, you go that deep. A fantastic alcoholic, yes. Uh, there you go. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, and, and T-Bar, so Randy Atcher played with one of the, the old guys that used to be on, on T-Bar V and Hayloft Hoedown, and, and, and of course, and Randy's son was a musician, and he came up from Florida for the deal. And they did like a half an hour concert, and the reason why I'm raving over this is because not only is Randy Atcher the first TV personality that I actually remember in life and was for like millions of other kids around here, but he's got to be, he's got to be 95 years old. And he's he's tall, and he still has the silver hair and the long sideburns. He, if Jock Ewing on Dallas was a better-looking man and tall and distinguished, he'd look like Randy Atcher. And he was, and he had more energy than half the people on the show. And he played, and he does the whole thing. And they played Ghost Riders in the Sky on the acoustic guitar. And it just he's, he's got to be somebody in Louisville has to tell me how old Randy Atcher is. But if he if he's less than ninety, I will I will. Well, maybe I'm not. He might be 89, and then I'd be kissing somebody's ass on Broadway. But I'll be surprised if he's less than 90 years old. But that the T Bar V Ranch, where I was going with this, was the first TV show I was ever on. But I wasn't actually on the show being interviewed because the thing is, they had they would bring they had a studio audience of local kids. And they would bring the kids on in between the cartoons and, and Cactus's, you know, comedy routine and whatever. And they'd, they'd interview the kids or like five or six or whatever. And I think I was probably four or five. I was sitting on the bleachers, but I refused. They told because my dad knew everybody he worked for the company. Right. He said, well, do you want to go up and, and do an interview? And I said, no, no. And, and I sat on the end of the bleachers. So in one crowd shot going to a bumper. They shot me in passing, but the first TV show I was ever on, I refused the opportunity to cut a promo. So we have some interesting news here. I just found uh, some information about Randy Atcher. Oh, for how I should have known you there in fucking the wilds of suburban New Jersey or wherever the fuck you're at would be able to find this. Randy Atcher was born December 7th, 1918. Oh my God. What? No, what? Is he a hundred? Now, wait a minute. Atcher receded from fame after his show was canceled, but remained a popular entertainer in Louisville, and he died in 2002. Well, that's not correct. <laughs> that is, I just saw him. It says he died October 9th, 2002. <laughs> I mean, it has well, the same bio here. It talks was, about Foster Brooks. It talks was this an old tape? <laughs> Did I fucking, I saw fucking asshole. Are you doing? My weekend, they ran a tape on the telephone. It wasn't live. They ran well, a tape, they ran a tape from before it? HD, obviously in 2002. I hadn't seen him in fucking years. I didn't even know he was sick. <laughs> Fuck yeah. All right. Oh, God. You know, now you know everybody's going to think we set that up. You motherfucker. <laughs> no, you did not. I didn't know you were going to go there when you said. Seriously. I am seriously telling you, I thought, my God, I haven't seen Randy Atcher in 20 years. I didn't know he was still alive. My God, he's got to be 95, and he looks great. It was a tape from fucking 20 years ago. Yeah, and he would have turned 100 this year. God damn it, poor Randy. I would have sent a card or flowers or something had I known. <sighs> Maybe that's why they aired it, to celebrate the 100th anniversary of his birth. Well, I was, I was actually, I was doing Cornette's collectibles orders and I, and I did have a bit of a, of a, of a puny tummy Sunday afternoon for reasons unknown. So I was back and forth to the bathroom a bit. So I guess I just, <laughs> they didn't run a goddamn graphic previously recorded. I thought he was there in the fucking studio. All right, motherfucker. What happened to cactus Tom Brooks?
Well, we'll save that for another show. But you've now you've, you've ruined. <laughs> you've ruined my God. The one really happy, nice, nostalgic thing that happened to me. I was almost thinking about driving down there to the fucking Channel Eleven studios to shake hands with Randy Atcher after all these years, see if he remembered me. Oh, that would have been the end when the newspaper <laughs> articles got out that Jim Cornette showed up to shake the hands of the dead entertainer. <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> fucking tape, you motherfucker. You couldn't have let me just go on. Th- All right. <sighs> Where's my, I've got things written down here. All right. We're going to talk about the live events. But he remained a popular entertainer in Louisville. I will yes, he did. And I thought he'd moved away to Florida with his son, Mark. Now you tell me he's been dead for 20 years. I have to say, I don't know if we've ever received as many questions for the drive-thru about something that happened the day before, as we have about what I'm going to call the Tessa Blanchard controversy. Okay, so- well, all I have, and, and you know, I, I just turned on, because I actually separated myself from the outside world early yesterday. That's one of the reasons why I'm feeling so chipper, because I'm having much less contact with people in the outside world. So I briefly turned on the Twitter this morning, Uh, Before we started recording, just to see what was going on, and now all the girls in the business are just hopping on Tessa Blanchard for something that she tweeted saying we should all support everyone, and now now they're just all hopping on her. Is this correct? This is correct. I I consider it somewhat similar to imagine if you just said, hey, why can't we all just get along? Why do we have (laughs) problems with each other? And then people said, what the fuck? But anyway, uh, one of the questions that came in on Twitter using a hashtag corny drive through from James Cotto. Nice to see that Jim isn't in the middle of a Twitter firestorm for a change. Will you be discussing this on the drive-thru? And then another question here from Matt Quick, hashtag corny drive-thru on Twitter. What are your thoughts on the allegations that Tessa Blanchard spit in a female African-American wrestler's face? Called her the N-word at a show in Japan. Does this change your view of Tessa? And obviously there are lots of other questions. And like you said, there was a pile on all these various women from various Companies, various independent organizations came out. It seems that everyone has a horror story all of a sudden about Tessa Blanchard, and it probably wouldn't have come well, out if she hadn't tweeted, hey, why can't why can't we all get along? Why can't we all support each other as women? Well, <laughs> well if it all of us, why hasn't it come out before all of a sudden? All that, you know, but uh, I don't know what to think. And obviously, because of the way that I have been My name has been bandied about in the press of late. I'm not going to make any judgments on anybody, but what is the action? Has anybody said the actual story? Yes, several people. What is the actual story? And apparently there's more than one. So let me give you a little bit of a recap from the best I've been able to put things together. Tessa Blanchard tweeted out yesterday, as we're recording, at 11.47 a.m., hey, women, try supporting one another. Cool things happen. And then various people. Here's Priscilla Kelly. Remember publicly. Now, wait a minute. This is the woman that that shoved her allegedly used tampon in somebody else's face, isn't it? That is certainly one of her gimmicks. Okay, let's just remind let's just remind everybody of that. Now, let's see what she has to say. Remember publicly putting me down on Twitter last year for something that didn't involve you whatsoever, then continuing to drag my name to other people for it. Pepperidge Farm remembers. I wonder, was that the incident? I don't know. Uh, You should probably delete this tweet. And then there's another reply. Chelsea Green. Do you know Chelsea Green? 
I, I she was she in TNA when I did a week down there a while back. Cost- actually, I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with who she is. Uh, you've consistently put down, bullied, and belittled countless female coworkers, including me. Is that support? Do you know Allison K? Allison K is currently the NWA Women's Champion. Remember when you spat in a black woman's face and called her the N-word in Japan? Was that you supporting women? The audacity of this tweet. <laughs> uh, I love it when people use audacity. There no, is- that, that's where I was going with this. What is Has anybody issued the story on that incident? It, it, there's a wide context, people. There's a wide disparity disparity between I just walked up to this woman in the locker room because she she said some sideways shit and spit in her face and called her the N-word, or had they just had a match where this particular woman had possibly dropped her on her head or fucking potatoed her in some kind of way, in which case, yes, that is fucking understandable and often happens. So which one is it? Well, here's the actual person, apparently, that this instance happened to. Because, again, a lot of these stories aren't even about that. It's about things that have happened to them, bullying to them. This is, uh, and it appears there's a little bit of a language barrier here because it's not perfect English. Uh, Puerto Rican wrestler La Black Rose. Uh, I, I think that's the name here. Again, I'm not familiar with her. That story, yes, that happened in Japan. I- I'm translating as best I can. That happened in Japan. 2017 tessa blanchard does not remember i can i am not a mean girl with any co-workers around the world uh be kind of racist is not ridiculous it is a sickness again it's a little bit of a language barrier and then i see here lots of other people i mean it seems like every woman wrestler that's not <laughs> working an impact well here's isla dawn isla dawn i don't know who this is As someone who experienced your bullying firsthand, received regular verbal abuse, was spat on, had rumors spread about me, dealt with multiple attempts by you to blacklist me from other companies, plus more, I just pray you now follow your own advice. And it's just one tweet after another. I mean, it seems like there's now countless people coming out and saying this, and well, thank you, Tessa. You've taken the heat off of me. <laughs> when I have met her several times and can't think of a more polite or delightful person to talk to. And I, as I said, I don't watch her on impact because I love her, her, what I've seen of her work, but I'm not going to go that far to watch that fucking show. Um, but uh, the few times that I've seen her, she's been an incredible fucking talent and what intensity. And she works like a guy, which is the ultimate compliment. And uh, and she's been nice and polite and bubbly, and uh, I don't know what to think. Do you know a wrestler named Rebel? Uh, uh, no, uh, uh, Rebel from TNA. Uh, well, yes, yes. I like to think yes. people change over time, but I can confirm the bad behavior and non-supportive attitude in Japan. I was there. <laughs> Here's Shayna, who's now with AEW. She did more nasty stuff in Japan. <laughs> Never forget. <laughs> Practice what you preach, sweetheart. I stand by uh, the uh, Abusa Dorte PR. That's the wrestler who allegedly had uh, the N-word thrown at her and was spit in her face. She's a fun-loving person who would never disrespect anyone. Much love to you, Rosa. Well, here's Allison K. Here's Allison K again. The reason I've never said anything until now 
is because it wasn't my story to tell. I made it clear to La Rosa that I had her back, and today was the day she gave me permission. You can't force someone to come forward, but you can be there for them. That is supporting women. So that's her reason for not talking about this beforehand. Here's well, here's uh, someone supporting. Well, God damn. Well, you know, T- Tully never had this much heat in the locker room. <laughs> well, sure he did. It's just there wasn't Twitter. Uh, here's apparently. Well, God damn, you know, yeah, I guess you are right. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for Manny Fernandez to chime in here. But here's uh, <laughs> someone defending Tessa Daga. Oh, what a perfect time to tweet about a woman that is about to make history. Jealous is a real thing. By the way, I'm the Mexican fiance. So apparently that's Tessa's fiance, Daga. He's well, I, and and also there is an element of I mean she's so much better than the other girls. <laughs> you know there could be the, there could be that as well. But holy shit! And you would obviously yeah, admit she, that would, she got Tully's people skills. She really did. Well, yeah, and again, you say she was always nice and kind to you. I would have to think that the way she treats someone like you would be different than other co-workers in the same division and yeah yeah. i mean it's one after another after another and she's wrestling you know my theory is always if you end up in impact there's probably a reason you end up in impact it's wrestling purgatory yeah you know it's a place to kind of repair yourself and she's not in wwe she's not in aew apparently a lot of these stories even though they're now publicly coming out have been whispered about do you do anything different of your impact wrestling where she's allegedly in line as a recording today it may happen later today on pay-per-view who knew they still had pay-per-views she's in line to win their world's heavyweight championship from sammy callahan do you do anything differently just because she's insulted every girl wrestler in the business no what the fuck of course not if she (laughs) you may have trouble trouble finding people to work with her or elsewise those matches could be stiff and interesting uh, but if but it, it, no, and just because once again somebody called someone a name while they potentially were in a fight with them, I can identify with that. If uh, if she walked up, what if they weren't the, though? What if they weren't well, in if, a fight? Well, if they weren't, then then that is a bit strong, and I think she owes the girl an apology. But if they were in some type of issue over the match or a, a fucking physical altercation or whatever the fuck, then we need more information on that. But otherwise, no, just because she's been a bully and or snidely uh, to all of the other girls that she's worked with is no reason to change her push if, if you're happy with her in your company, for fuck's sake. And once again, this is not only not ballet, but it's not fucking romper room. If everybody's getting their feelings hurt, maybe there's too many people with soft feelings and fucking wrestling. Or maybe maybe the problem is Tessa. Well, no, well, and maybe the problem is Tessa. As I said, if she's insulted and pissed off every girl, and as long as you're happy with her in your company and can find people to work with her, that ain't your fucking problem. You're not hiring nice people. You're hiring talent. I come from an era when the the booker could more or less fucking smack you if he wanted to, and you were either going to fight him and get fired or fucking take it. So I'm I'm hard to fucking impressed with he she hurt my feelings and bullied me well then fucking knock her out what the fuck if you're gonna be wrestlers be wrestlers if a guy was that upset in a locker room at something that somebody had said or done to them they would fucking do one thing or the other they'd either not do anything about it or they would so either don't do anything about it or do well, don't this, fucking say, well, she's so mean that you shouldn't use her in a company I don't even work for. Well, no one's That's saying that, ridiculous. Though. But no one's saying that. And again, 
She brought this on herself by tweeting out, hey, women, try supporting one another. <laughs> cool things happen. I mean, maybe, 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 maybe the right word there for that tweet. You know what? That's that's probably that, that she could have got to if Twitter was around in 1984, that could have been said by Tully Blanchard or Gino Hernandez. It would have been great. I don't know. I have no idea. But uh, yeah, that that. Uh, well, hey. It's maybe she's trying to be positive now. It's a new year. She's like me. She slept some. She decided she wants to be positive now. Like Sheik, that time he was positive. When they started the drug test, and he turned up positive. They call him Sheik, you're positive. Oh, I knew I had to be positive. Yes, Sheik, always positive. She's trying to be positive. Was it one of the stories that he was like, was Don Morocco positive? Was Jake Roberts positive? I was with them. You know? <laughs> That's after he found out positive was a bad thing. You know, um, obviously Tully had his issues with people. Maybe to this day still has some people skills issues. I've never heard a bad thing about Joe Blanchard ever. Have you? No, he was. I wasn't around him a ton. We worked, you know, the the towns because he ran uh, obviously San Antonio and South Texas for so long. We worked some of his towns, and I obviously met him, but I never had a problem with him. He, he always seemed to be cheerful nobody i i recall ever saying anything bad about him i think you know tully had an element of you know rich kid star's son promoter's son high school football star college football you know fucking that whole thing and he just his his personality was what came over on television he was kind of like if mjf really meant and he probably does at this point because he's so good but if he was saying i'm better than you and you know it and really meant it and looked like tully when he said it with that shit sniffing look tully used to get where he'd look at somebody just like i can't believe you're breathing my air holy fuck you want to take a swing at him tully just fucking you know just that expression and you'd get that in the locker room uh so yeah but that's what made him think about that tully was a normal sized guy uh, he was, he didn't have an incredible physique. He wasn't incredibly sizable. He didn't do anything spectacular in the ring, like a Bobby Eaton or whatever, but he was a main event guy because he had the personality and he knew how to work and he knew how to put the match together and had psychology. And he was like a little fucking, just an, an, an annoying fucking nappy dog that would stay on you and grind you down and wear you down or whatever. He had that, that quick way of working and uh and it was legitimate and believable he came off like just a regular fucking high school jock football asshole and a rich kid's fucking you know snotty greedy just he was a, a, a heel that everybody could relate to it wasn't like you know the, the sheik got heat but nobody in real life knew a fucking guy like the sheik but everybody had seen or met or gone to school with or just been around somebody like tully looking through some more tweets here here's renee michelle oh, from good god beautiful <laughs> woman in the wwe apparently she had an issue with tessa apparently there's a video i don't know the backstory but i'm still what i'm starting now to feel like fuck i'm ashamed to be in the I've, i like uh, <laughs> i'm tully and magnum and poor tessa i'm i'm being a party to this i don't know anything about this what the fuck diona is it diona perrazzo is that her name she's one of rip rogers's young protégés here's an incident where i guess i'm reading between the lines i don't know the whole story someone correct me during a battle royal there was an incident with tessa and she got fed up and she slapped tessa in the face and they started fighting 
God damn it. Um, well, here's apparently I'm reading through this kind of quickly. This is slightly off topic. Apparently there is something, you know, a lot of these women wrestlers nowadays, I guess to make some extra money, they do Patreon. And unlike, you know, if we did Patreon, we would have audio content or potentially video content. They do exclusive photos, you know, bikini shots, whatever it may be. I guess this kind of falls in line with that. I guess if I am to believe what I'm reading here, she took a dump for a fan. What? There's audio of it. I don't know if there's video of it as well. What? <laughs> what, 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 what are you trying? I'm trying to say that it well, appears wait, that- wait, how do you, that audio of a dump? Well, I guess there could be, but, but, but would you really want audio of a, I don't, what? We're not playing this on the show. I will say that. But apparently, well, is this copyrighted? I, I, <laughs> I don't. Is it copyrighted? I mean, can we call Stephen P. New? I don't believe it's copyrighted. Uh, um, well, then let that baby fire, uh, so to speak. Well, hold on. Let me find the, the actual audio here. I'm reading about it. Let me get the audio. Uh, if you want to, well, it seems like we should have some more fucking preparation going on here. If you're going to malign somebody, I was trying to defend until now. There's recordings of her. Being fucking Princess Poopin' House. Well, what while, while I'm looking to see if this audio is indeed here, what are your thoughts on female wrestlers doing audio like, of themselves taking a well, shit? Beyond, I'm high. beyond the defecation, in terms of like modern apartment what house wrestling. What and, is the definition of defecation? <laughs> Do you, does it have to? Can it just be crowning? Can it just be peeping? As Arn Anderson, Anderson used to say, whenever Arn had to take a shit, he'd say, "Can you hurry up and get to the store? I got one peeping." Um, but it, as far as the custom video thing, I I've heard that that people have custom wrestling videos. I I don't know I, because to me if that falls into the category of kind of making the business be fake. So I wouldn't be really in favor of that unless it was an actual video of a pro match in front of people, which case I would be for that. I, I don't, I, why are you asking me these things? This is a hot button issue. I did find, here's a tweet from Tessa defending herself. Well, yes, let's get something from Tessa's point of view around here. Replying to Chelsea Green again, what Chelsea said was you've consistently put down, bullied, and belittled countless female employees, uh, co-workers, excuse me, including myself. Is that support? Tessa responded, I've never been anything but kind to you. I've dealt with mean girls since I started. Not saying I'm a saint. Son of a bitch. Hold on. (laughs) Or a son of a bitch. Someone from the wrestling business, too. They always got to fucking bother me. Not saying I'm a saint. Hell, I've had my ups and downs, and I've made silly decisions. Such is life. You have zero merit in your comments. Instead, putting me down here for a little clout, you've got my number. There you go. All right. A denial. A denial. And call me up. Uh, hold on. Here's someone, here's Travis Heckle actually commenting on Twitter. Someone said this audio or video of her shitting on a fan. 
What? what now, wait. No, no, no. <laughs> Just back the fuck up. No. No. Now, this is how that shit. No, I'm not going to be a party. But just 10 minutes ago, it was like there was an audio tape of her farting in somebody's face. And now there's video of her shitting on a fan on fucking Broadway. No, I refuse to believe all this horse shit. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting until there is more goddamn evidence come in on, on all of this stuff. Here's some commentary about. <laughs> what the fuck? William Bozard in the Mothership Group. I heard a couple minutes of it. It was definitely going in the toilet because you could hear an occasional splash. Well, wait a minute. If you hear a, a recording of somebody taking a shit, how do you, how do you pinpoint who that person is? Do is it like fingerprints? Does everybody's shit sound alike? Oh, well, watch. I'd know that sound anywhere. That's Tessa taking that dump. What the fuck? Well, the other question is, if there really is video of it, did someone say, you know what? I need to capture the audio. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we don't want to show that video, but we need to get that audio out to the people. They need to know about this. This, this, if pardon the pun, this whole story stinks, in my opinion. All right. Your future impact champion, Tessa Blanchard. Well, she better watch out for Callahan, though, because he likes to fucking ask people to work with him and then gets mad at him without telling them. Do you want me to keep looking for this audio or do you want me to not play this? Well, I, well but, but I mean, here's the thing. Once again, now that I've said that out loud, hey, if you play, I've got a goddamn cassette recording of, 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 of a ridiculously offensive sounding shit that I bought. It's a commercial recording that I bought years ago. It's entitled The Big Shit. Got it at a truck stop. What? And yeah, it's a cassette recording and it's got a picture of a toilet on it. It's titled The Big Shit. And it's just this guy taking his horrible sounding shit for like minutes and minutes. And I don't know who that guy is. I've heard him because I used to have it in the car. I used to play it for the boys. I've heard him shit 30, 40 times easily. But if I was standing right next to him in the, in the middle of a Wendy's, I wouldn't know it was him because... You can't identify someone from the, so how is someone to say this is an audio of Tessa Blanchard or anybody else taking a shit unless a, a voice authorization has been given like, hi, everybody, this is Tessa Blanchard and the shit you're about to listen to is mine. <laughs> and then, and then you can run that through one of those voice authorization things. Cause you know, people would try to, well, it's like this one guy. I know sold something one time that he wasn't supposed to have, right? For a lot of money and cash and shoe boxes. And before he he turned that item over, he also had the people that purchased it sign a, a, a handwritten document that he had filled out that said, I certify that I did not get such and such item from so-and-so. And then they signed it. So he was covered, right? You can't identify a, a, a shit is all I'm saying. So we will not be playing this audio. Well, let's play the audio. Okay, hold on. I'm reading. We just can't. We just can't attribute it to one single human being. There's no evidence. Uh, I can't believe we're. This, this may be. This may be the big shit. The, the tape that I've had for so many years. Maybe somebody's pawned that off again. But now this time they're saying it's it's a famous wrestling personality. All right, hold on. I'm pressing play. There's some noise happening.
that's a very somber situation. Would you shut up? Oh, there was a voice. Wait, wait, back up, back up. What was that? I see you. Watching me take a shit. <laughs> 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 oh, you sick fucking bastard. Ew, huh? You like to hear? You like to hear that? You think that's gross? You fucking find that a turn on, don't you? Oh. Mm, you like dirty girls that like to shit on toilets, huh? It's dirty. <laughs> <laughs> that's making me hard, isn't it? Oh, you want like real pieces of action, don't you? I'm not worried about copyright now. I'm worried about fucking the FCC. <laughs> Is this the tape you got? No, it doesn't sound like that guy. I thought he was a truck driver. Can you identify this voice? Well, no, I've never listened to Tessa. Like probably super hard right now, isn't it? Oh. You're probably like rubbing your balls or cock and... Again. Going all, ooh, yeah, every time I take a big, nice dump, you know. Uh-huh. Uh. Oh, shit. Oh, man. Uh. Oh, you're probably fucking jacking off to the share right now, huh? I'm a pervert of sicko. Oh, man. <coughs> I don't think we're going to be able to put this on YouTube. <laughs> Watching a sexy hot girl take a dirty, nasty, disgusting dump. Oh, having diarrhea. What yeah. the? Oh. Where did this come from? Who released this? This was uh, posted online. You're <laughs> looking. Do you have a situation like this? You think she should go to the finish, or do you think they should draw it out? I, I'm pretty. Go home. Go, <laughs> Mister Coffee, with his tie and toilet paper is just. Do you want me to fast forward? It's longer. You like to peek in on girls with your little camera spying on me. How long have you been watching me? Oh, I wonder how many times you watch me take a shit in a dump. All those times I come in here and they don't think I'm no one sees me. I'm going to fast forward. Probably like I wish you would, yeah. You're just like, oh, you just want to put it all in your hand and use the jack off. Huh? Like, jack off, you want to just put oh, it all in your hand. Oh. Like, oh. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> Maybe I'll put some in a baggie for you and, like, mail it so you can, like, put your hand, like, your dick in a bag and, like, use it to jack it off with. Like, oh, what? Out to your video while you watch me take it down. <laughs> Where's she been, P.F. Chang's? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> well, that shit had to be at least 80 Kureks. Oh. I'm going to get up that quickly. I'm not going to let you see that shit. <laughs> it's still pretty dirty. I think you should... You want to fucking see what that shit looks like, don't you? And you come here and fucking lick it off for a bitch. Mm. Wait a minute, is the person actually there? I don't think so. I think she's making a video. Whoever this allegedly is. 
Alright, I'm going back to my stuff that I was doing. I guess I'll see you soon because I should <laughs> Oh! Oh, there's the finish. <laughs> well, that's the, um, the end of the audio. The audio is almost six minutes long. Seven farts. Can we air that? I had no idea when we started this bit because this was obviously not rehearsed. And I, I have no idea now what to do with this. I'm not exactly sure, but... Um, should, should we call Stephen P. New and let him hear it? I will double check with Stephen to make sure... Because we're not exactly sure who this is. It's been alleged. Well, no. Once again, I don't... I I don't know what Tessa Blanchard's voice sounds like in when she's in the middle of that type of situation. So I cannot, you know, uh, that's I, but that uh, if somebody's <laughs> if somebody's putting that out, it's pretty low. It's pretty damn shitty for somebody to put that out and attach her name to it. If that isn't her, and if that's her, it's pretty damn shitty for her to have put that out. How much would you pay for a thing like that? I would pay zero. No, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the royal you. How much would a member of the royal family pay for? No, I'm. How much would just? How much would that be? I don't know. Well, I would have to think if you're someone who's supporting female wrestling by paying for bonus content, this would be high on the list. This would be like the thousand dollar tier, I would think. I would. I would. I would think. I don't know. I really don't know. I <laughs> we've reached a new low, a new depth. <laughs> I, you know, this I we have absolutely no finish for this bit. It took a disturbing turn, and I was all ready to to just defend everything. But now I don't. I don't know. I don't know. All right, I don't. Well, let's uh, move on to another topic. <laughs> Do you think we really should run it by Stephen to make sure? I, I think <laughs> I'll, I'll bring it up to him uh, after the show when I have yeah, to talk all right. with him. But take take two. This, okay. It, it, by the way, if you don't hear that audio here, there's a reason for it. Yeah. Let, folks, if you didn't hear what we just said, then there's a reason for that, but you won't ever know what it was. This one was sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from Roberto DeMarco. Whose idea was WWF greetings on call? This was a service provided by WWF that allowed people to send greeting calls to others for their birthdays. In 1994, during an episode of Superstars, as Yokozuna went one-on-one with a jobber, Jerry Lawler sent a greeting to someone, and it was The Undertaker and Paul Bearer singing Happy Birthday. Do you remember this? I have no knowledge of possibly I was in a coma. I don't remember any of this. Well, I have some audio here. Please, help me. This is actually your... Managing Yokozuna here, you and Fuji. This is from 1994 WWF Superstars. Let's hear this. Have you heard of the WWF greetings on call? Of course I have. What? Of course. What does that have to do with you? Well, I'll tell you what. I called up and I, I had my choice of WWF Superstars to leave a little message for Helen Hart. I could have had Lex Luger. I could have had Bret Hart. Who would want him? I could have had Razor Ramon or the Macho Man. But I chose the man that this man, Yokozuna, demolished 
at the Royal Rumble. I chose The Undertaker. And before his final demise, he left a few choice comments for Miss Helen Hart. And the, the phone should be ringing any minute with this message. Oh, there good Lord. What, what are you up to, Charlie? Listen to this. Listen to this. Listen. <laughs> One second, Paul Bearer. I've got to find out something. Please let us know that you have a touchtone phone by pressing the one button now. If you what the fuck? Hello, 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 birthday girl. This is Paul Bearer. My Undertaker asked me to call you and give you a special message because he dug up the news that it's your birthday. Here he comes now from the depths of the darkness to try and shed some light on your special day. What the fuck is Stop it there. Uh, so there, it. so one of the Yokozuna's <laughs> matches was going on in the background. They were totally ignoring while they were playing that fucking fiasco. Yes, you're at ringside. Fuji's at ringside. Yokozuna's squashing someone. And The Undertaker and Paul Bearer are leaving a message for Helen. And, and apparently they had them record like, it's like one of these automated prompts. They had them record like Billy or Joe or Helen or Betty or whatever. And they just plug it in. That's right. Good fucking God. No, I I don't. Re- I think that probably was the only time that was done, wasn't it, on television? Because if it had been done more than once, it seems like I'd remember that. I don't remember any other times it was done, but I And I have a feeling I know why it wasn't ever done on TV again. Good fucking God. I have no knowledge of what was going on there, but it, the, one of the things that they were trying to do back then to to uh, get with the modern program. Oh, look at all the technology we can do these things. If fucking hell. Well, you have nothing else to add to that, so let's get another I have question. <laughs> this well, one. Well, they can't all be diamonds. Uh, well, you just want to get to the next segment because it was your all-time favorite. Let me let me just say I'm gonna say something before we get going. This next segment is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. This is the best segment in the history of AEW. You get every emotion, every feeling you would get from AEW in this one segment. It starts off and you're like, all right, let's see where this goes. And then you're like, what the hell is this? And then you're like, oh my God, this is awful. And then it's, holy shit, where did that come from? This is awesome. And then it goes right back to, oh, it's AEW. There is so much that happens here. I rewound and watched this. Three times. I watched this live. I had to do something at 8.30. So I only had a half hour window I could watch one of these shows live. I chose AEW. So I watched this live as it happened. I sat at my desk. I was howling with laughter. I thought this was the greatest thing ever. I couldn't believe it. At first, I thought they were going to do a Cody's having an affair angle. And I was like, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. This is the greatest. (laughs) 
But then it went in a completely different direction. And it was one of the most beautiful train wrecks I've ever seen. (laughs) And at its peak, at its greatest moments, it was fantastic. And at its worst moments, it was something I could just be entertained by. It it didn't have the 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 shock appeal, no pun intended, of the Shockmaster, but it was really spectacularly bad television in the same vein. It was beautifully bad television. I couldn't look away. I laughed. I covered my mouth and said, "Oh my god!" It was it was perfection. It was in, in, right, the, well, in the world of AEW. It was perfection. This is the greatest segment in the history of AEW. Well, let's explain for the folks who don't either didn't watch the program or don't watch until we talk about it so you know what to look out for. Cody has his big entrance. He's dressed in a suit. He looks professional except for the neck tattoo, but he's coming out and the music and the cheers and everything. <clears throat> and I thought this was going to be some kind of serious interview segment or something involving Cody. And, and the first thing that I wrote down was, that I know we've talked about this before. I like I like Cody's promos, even if you think sometimes they veer into, and I agreed with you a time or two, the theatrical or maybe too grandiose in their in their soliloquy. He he delivers things easily. He likes being out there. He's he's relaxed. I hear I hear Dusty in his cadence, if not in the actual verbiage. And by the time that I said that, he's talking and a woman walks into the ring that we've never seen before <laughs> from behind him. And, you know, he realizes that she's there and he turns around and he says, can I help you? And- <laughs> I was dying by this point. I was like, what is going on? It is amazing. <laughs> because this woman she she she's a tall a, a striking looking black woman with blonde hair and a red outfit and she's got abs as a matter of fact at first i thought oh my god it's linda miles she's back oh don't say that um, well and now i don't want to i don't want to besmirch the name of linda miles after i heard this promo and this woman starts trying to talk to Cody Rhodes. And as my, as Mama Cornette used to say, she couldn't say Suey if the hogs had her. She couldn't say shit if she had a mouthful. It was Big Mama 85 Jim Crockett <laughs> level bad. I said, I wrote, oh my God. She's like, Cody, I've I've looked for you or I've tried to find you or I've wanted to confront you or whatever. I've looked in bars. I've looked in cars. You see, that's why at the beginning, I I thought it was going to be, Cody, you know we've been having an affair. I was like, oh, my God, where are they going with this? (laughs) Well, I I didn't even I didn't even think that because I thought, my God, I don't I don't know what I thought. But this girl was awkward. She was gangly and nervous, had no idea what she was doing, had no business being on national television. She had memorized some shit she was supposed to say. She couldn't get her name out. Is it Jane Cargill? (laughs) Might as well have given her, you know, fucking 
uh, Eustace McFinger Mang McGee. Give her something else even harder to pronounce. Von Hepper Trepper. Von Hepper Trepper. <laughs> and with, she was trying to lay out some kind of story and Cody kept standing there and you could tell by mental telepathy, he was trying to will her to get this out. And I just, I wrote, why is this happening? It sounded like, the the fucking county fair speech in by Don Knotts and the Ghost and Mister Chicken. What do you know about giants? Who are giants? What are giants? <laughs> Let me clarify this. I know a giant, and this Cody's looking at his watch, right? And Jr. says, "This has been riveting." She has in a monotonous, like machine-like delivery beating around the bush. Then she finishes apparently what she's saying and leaves the ring. But then when she gets to the stage, she turns around and there's more and it starts going longer. And she reveals her giant friend's name because that's the whole thing is Dustin's been saying or Dustin. Cody's been saying he's a giant killer. Well, you, you shouldn't say that because I know a giant and the giant's name is Shaq. Well, Nobody popped because the last thing that anybody sitting at home or probably in that building was thinking about when they're talking about giants and wrestling is Shaq. I thought she said Shrek. I thought they're they're doing a crossover with the goddamn <laughs> Pixar or whatever. And then the announcers had to jump in and say, oh, she means Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> well, now if she'd have said that everybody known who the fuck she was talking about. Even on a wrestling program. Well, not everyone, if you say Shaq, everyone knows what you're talking about. I, did, I didn't I did get Shaq in the context of this unknown woman that's never been seen before out on a fucking outlaw wrestling program, and suddenly she's going to be talking about a giant basketball player. It didn't register to me. I bet it didn't register to a lot of people. Where so did she, she come yeah, from? jumped in. Did she hop the rail? Like, no, where, she walked she's... out behind the <laughs> ring down the ramp. Yeah, where did she come from? <laughs> she came from the entranceway. No, she didn't come from the entranceway. I thought she came up from the floor. I thought she came from the entranceway. I like when she would just randomly pose, when she would randomly hit the double yeah, biceps. She, she, <laughs> she would stop talking and just get back and flip her hair and pose because she was lost and couldn't remember what to say. So, and I bet you Cody was doing some ventriloquism. and talk about the giant. So let, uh, let me stop you real quick, because she's now on the, I guess, the staging area. Cody's still in the ring. Cody is, has this look on his face, like you said, like, oh, my God, what is going on And this on has taken a long time. It has gone on for so long that it went from this is bad to this is amazingly bad. Fantastically bad. And See, I didn't like it that much at that point, because I've been out there on live TV for some segments when other people shit the bed and it's it's it just seems like forever how many times has this happened to cody where he gets in the ring he gets his long long entrance with the dramatic music that goes on longer than anyone else's music before you see him and then he finally gets in the ring and he's on the mic for 30 seconds and boom jake the snake robert shows up yeah like, this has happened before so she's now on the uh entrance ramp area the entrance way it's not really a ramp She's standing there. Cody's in the ring. My first thought after she says Shaq is, thank God they're going to do Shaq and Cody and not Shaq and Jericho. Thank God they didn't let Jericho latch on to this. Well, but now, do you even think, how old is Shaquille O'Neal now? He's 
I would guess at least 45, at minimum 45, maybe closer to 50. And 300 and some pounds easily and whatever the fuck. Do you think even Cody can get this done? I, I I don't know. He's been teasing, wanted to do something in wrestling forever, and I don't think he's ever actually done anything. But she's on the stage, and I'm like, this is amazing. And then somehow, somehow, <laughs> it got turned up to 10, and it became all-time classic. It became one of the greatest things ever. And it was easily the best thing at AEW. I didn't expect this. From an unlikely source. An unlikely source, and I'm not going to spoil it, I'm going to let you have this, but an unlikely source came out and delivered the promo of a lifetime. (laughs) Thank you for the handoff. Ladies and gentlemen, as this Linda Miles-looking woman named Jane Cargill was standing there and had dropped the Shaquille O'Neal bomb, here comes Brandy Rhodes, and she's pissed. And she launches into old Jane with the goddamnedest promo that I've ever heard in my life. She <laughs> meant every word of it. She was cussing. She was pissed off. She told her everything that she should shove up her ass and exactly which fucking direction to do it in. I mean, it was great. And it was Brandy. And it was great. I mean, she... she her promos go from sounding like Meryl Streep to sounding like Butch Reed. That was it. It was Butch Reed 85 calling Dark Journey a heifer on Mid-South TV. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was incredible. Incredible. Oh, so and where so did this then, come from? Where this- right then I wrote Oli, Piper, Foley, CM Punk, Brandy. In the all-time pantheon of promos in pro wrestling. And then, as she basically told her to get her bitch ass out of her building there, that here comes Jerry Lynn to separate. Oh, no, no, uh, no, no, no. You're, you're, you're skipping over some of the most important parts. Okay, well, go ahead. Go ahead. While Brandy is cutting this, the, the, the greatest promo of her life on this woman, and totally believable and great. Cody's never cut a promo this good. No, no. This woman is standing there and she's posing and she's like, smiling. I don't know how to sell it. She's not so. So then Brandy says, convincingly, you better get out of here. But then Brandy gets out of there, turns around, starts walking away, and the girl just pats Brandy on the ass. <laughs> <laughs> and that caused Jerry Lynn and all the officials to run out. Uh, and well, and that, and that's the thing. If you'll notice, they pick their spots on when to run out. They did it another time on this program, but, uh, so Jerry Lynn separating the women and then, but in the, then they can't leave well enough alone. <laughs> Cause then Cody's still in the ring watching all this go on. Cage attacks Cody from behind and power bombs him. And here comes Starks and they're kicking the shit out of Cody. Well, then Darby Allen's music starts playing <laughs> and they just freak out and stop beating up on Cody and Darby Allen is a hundred feet away. They stop beating up on Cody when the music hits for this brooding twink to walk as slow as he can <laughs> down the entire building <laughs> yeah. to get to the ring. <laughs> and then he rolls in the ring and they charge at him and he hits him with his thumbtack jacket he's wearing a jacket 
covered in thumbtacks. Everybody has one of those. They were all the rage <laughs> back a few years ago, and you got one sitting in your closet. <laughs> and he hits them with his thumbtack jacket, and then the fucking heels bail out and and are leaving Taz and Starks. Taz and- is standing on the stage saying, like, okay, all right. Yeah, Taz, just, yeah, come on back, come on back. The, the guy with the thumb, the, the 150-pound guy with the thumbtack-covered jacket just beat up my giant bodybuilder, my sexy, you know, Ricky Starks, uh, star stroke daddy. And besides the fact that they they waited for him to come in the ring, stopped beating up the guy that they were beating up and waited for him to come in the ring and then got beat up by him, then... If they hadn't blown enough heat off of these heels already, as the heels are leaving, going down the fucking tube, somebody had told Will Hobbs in the back, hey, Will, go out there and throw a chair at him, because here comes Will Hobbs, the heels are leaving, going down the fucking passageway, and Hobbs <laughs> comes out and throws a chair at him. You better get out of here. It's like the time that Heyman threw the garbage can at Ric Flair after Flair had already left the room. And everyone calls him Will Hobbs, except for Jim Ross, who keeps calling him Willie Hobbs. Willie Hobbs, baby. <laughs> Willie Hobbs, but I can hear Dusty saying it. Dusty would I call Willie Hobbs the same thing. As a matter of fact, Dusty would have, would have written Willie Hobbs on his lineups. He had nicknames for everybody, either initials or nicknames. Dennis Condry was DC Cab because that movie came out and, and Dusty saw it on a <laughs> fucking pay-per-view channel in the hotel one night. And Dennis Condry forever after became DC Cab on the lineups. Oh, awful movie. Anyway, so that was certainly a segment of renown. We'll remember that one. That was the greatest segment in AEW history. It hit every, every, like, if you were someone who enjoyed AEW, there was something for you. For me, it was everything. Like I said, it started out with, okay, let's see where this is going. And then what the hell is this? And then, oh my God, I can't believe this is still going. And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, this is one of the greatest things ever. And then right back to AEW where just unnecessary stuff is happening that makes no sense. This was my favorite thing in the history of AEW. I love this segment. I wish... It would have kept going. I wish it never ended. I wish it was still happening right now. Nothing else on this show was able to stand up to this. It was all downhill from here. And you know what? I got to agree with you. You say it. It's always Cody's segments that are the greatest. This was... I don't know if they planned it this way, though, that this would be the greatest for this reason. This was the best segment in modern wrestling in in forever. This was so good. I watched it over and over. I'm going to watch it again after we're done recording. I love this segment. I encourage everyone, go out of your way but Boogie, to see this. I've looked in bars. I've looked in cars. Yeah, this. Oh, boy. The balance anyway, of you, power changed with this segment. <laughs> honestly, I thought this was kind of what it must have been, right? But uh, No, apparently it wasn't. Uh, Brandy Runnels having the greatest promo in the history of wrestling. Is this equivalent to a, a rookie golfer hitting a... Hole in one. It's like when all of a sudden Sonny King would hit like a great promo. Like all of a sudden Sonny wow, King. That's a, that's an interesting. That's an interesting comparison. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Like all of a sudden, yeah. Sonny King, you'd be like captivated by what he said. Yeah. <laughs> and then every other time you'd be like, oh my god, this guy sucks on the mic. Jim, before we get to that watch along, let's get a few questions in here and actually something that several people have sent in in the last couple of hours. You mentioned earlier, The Undertaker is now on Cameo. 
<laughs> and of course, for a long time, they were trying to get you on Cameo. They approached you a long time ago and you just said, I don't have the time, the patience, the desire, <laughs> the knowledge. To well, do no, the technology. well, here, here was what it was good because people keep asking me about it. And it's not that I don't want to do it. It's just that, you know, as well as I do, I do not have another 10 minutes in a day. And I can't imagine I would have to arrange to close down something else, either the podcast or the merchandise business or whatever to have time, because I know that it would be somewhat popular. And then I'd have to figure out, I'd have to hire a camera person with the phone and the apparatus. Cause I don't think Stacy would have the patience to do 400 one minute fucking promo. So I don't want to open that can of peas just yet. I'm not against the concept. Of course, the Undertaker went the other way, he charged a thousand dollars. So fewer well, people, but more money. And I'm not going to, I can't in good conscience ask anybody to pay. I mean, the Undertaker, that's a special thing. Yes. But I've cussed many people. So I can't ask them to pay a thousand dollars a piece for me to cuss them. We have some sound bites of the Undertaker on Cameo. Would you like to hear? No, them? we don't. Yes, we do. Can we play this? We will be playing them. Well, I mean, I don't mean can we, but I mean, will we get in trouble? Do we need to call Steven at 888-692-8084? <laughs> I don't think so because it's on Twitter. It was posted by someone. Uh, I'll give him credit. Oh, so it's somebody else's fault. That's right. Okay. It's someone. His name is Boss Moz. And here are some Undertaker cameo clips. Let me play the first one. It's the Undertaker. And your mom reached out to me. She told me. You started a new school this year. In fact, she also said that you were quite the baseball player. Oh, no. All right, hold on. That's the, uh, it loops itself. That was the first one. Here's another one. I just wanted to reach out and tell you it's going to be okay. You just keep waking up every morning and putting one foot in front of the other. And it's all going to work out eventually. You can do this. I have faith in you. And if you can't believe the living incarnation of death when he reaches his hand out to touch you, that everything's going to be okay, who can you believe? And he's in a black Undertaker coat. He's wearing his <laughs> Undertaker outfit underneath it. He has the hat. Hey, some guy's hooked up to all kinds of fucking tubes in the hospital. And they feel, well, he's a wrestling fan, so we'll get him this. He'll make him feel better. And... The, he regains consciousness through a haze of his medically induced coma. And the first thing he sees on a screen is the undertaker saying, I'm reaching out to you. <laughs> Fuck. To give the guy some fucking acid. You'll really fucking. <sighs> Let's play this one. It's the undertaker. And all the votes have been cast and they've all been tallied. And it looks like you, Robbie are the greatest Undertaker fan of the last 30 years. With you and your collectibles, <laughs> you've become the number one fan of The Undertaker. The number one fan. <laughs> the number one creature of the night. Robbie, you are the man. And you are the number one fan. All right. That's, that's that's the Undertaker's, I've looked in bars, I've looked in cars, <laughs> and here you are. What, did Robbie have to pay extra? Or who stuffed the ballot box? Was this a rigged election? 
I'm you know, we we've gotten in a lot of trouble talking about rigged elections here on the program lately. We have. Let's uh, hear another one from the Undertaker, the Undead Undertaker. I got your note. What? And before I thank the McMahon's, I want to thank you for being such a fan. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever heard either the Undertaker on television or Mark Calloway in real life say, I got your note. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being such a great husband. <laughs> thank you for being such a wonderful father. Thank you. Jim, you got to start doing cameos. you got to start doing these. Oh, I don't know if I could say thank you for being such a wonderful husband with the same <laughs> gravitas that, uh, hmm. You should give your mom a big hug. Words from the Undertaker. Oh, God. Yes, scare, scare mom to death. Hey, mom. Big hug for you. Did you ever see the movie Death Takes a Holiday? <laughs> oh, fucking. Oh, my God. AJ, you're fine. Real fine. <laughs> what? Darrell. And anybody who doesn't like it can rest in <laughs> peace on. Was that your your fine, your real fine? <laughs> That's what it was, yeah. So can you can you use your own verbiage or are they giving him verbiage? Well, specific verbiage. I think some of this has my to be face hurts. Some of this has to be directed by the person paying, but like the Robbie, you're my number one fan, where he ran out of things to say, so he just kept repeating over and over uh, new ways to say you're hey, my you're number, number one. one. <laughs> Of all the numbers, you're one of them. Right, here's another one. You take day by day, step by step, and each day there's, things are going to get much better. And one day, your heart surgery will be a distant memory. Oh, Jesus Christ. But I won't, because I'll be haunting your dreams. <laughs> so, so if you make it through this heart surgery, just remember... I'll be haunting you forevermore. <laughs> That's something to look forward to. That'll get me right through that surgery. And if people don't go out and buy that book, they may come face to face with horror. Horror of the Undertaker. Buy the book. <laughs> okay, that was that one. That's just a simple extortion threat, isn't it? That is. We have one last one that I see here. Let's go to this one. All elite Scooby-Doo. <laughs> That's how I'm going to address you. Well, all elite Scooby-Doo. Congratulations on getting married. You did the right thing. Undertaker on cameo. I mean, at least he's in gimmick. I'll give him that. You've hurt me. <laughs> I've got a chest pain here. <laughs> My face hurts. 
Oh, that that is not. You know, that's not a gimmick. It's the greatest gimmick in the history of wrestling, but it's not a gimmick that lends itself to fan greeting messages. It's not like Jimmy Hart's, hey, poo-poo, love you guys. Hey, keep it rocking and rolling, baby. Yeah. It's 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 hard to to exhort people to want to live another day when you're actually the the reaper of death. Does this change the way you think of cameo? <laughs> you can do these. You can crank these out. It, well, let's okay. Uh, uh, let's get the feedback from the cult of cornet audience. Who wants to pay a thousand dollars a piece to see me cuss you out? I want to know who all elite Scooby Doo is who wanted to get a congratulations on their wedding. <laughs> I thought they were gonna. Did you see the Trump Scooby Doo? Yes, you I saw, saw the Trump yes. Scooby. Yeah. I thought they were gonna Scooby Doo. What does Scooby do? Scooby doesn't do. It should be Velma. You know, and he says it so slowly. I didn't know where he was going. All elite. I was elite. like, oh my God, where's he going? Where's he going here? <laughs> well, it sounds like a that lot of one, people. That one had to raise an eyebrow when they were shooting it. All elite. Huh? Scooby Doo. I think mm. a lot of people got their money's worth. Actually, that may be the next all elite superstar. All Elite Scooby-Doo. All Elite Scooby-Doo. <laughs> they're, they're the Cartoon Network. They're in the same family over there. Turner. That's right. Right? Well, All Elite Scooby-Doo. Let's not give Chris Jericho any idea. With classes in crisis communication, influence, and data presentation, Gonzaga University's online Master's in Communication and Leadership equips you with the tools you need to communicate clearly and encourage creativity in any industry. Concentrations in digital media, strategic communication, and global leadership allow you to customize your degree. Visit gonzaga.edu communication and learn why a master's degree from Gonzaga can help you take your career to the next level. That's gonzaga.edu communication. Topic of who do you suspect? This next one was sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from Jay. This is going to be an interesting one. I'm going to preface this before we say anything. Okay. I can't imagine this is real. <laughs> but on the off chance that it is, I have to ask you this because ever since I saw this email, I've been fascinated by the idea this could potentially be true. Okay. And I hope we're not going to be talking about something too sensitive dealing with someone you care about. But we've talked in the past about the fact that there was a time that Stan Lane had to avoid the state of Florida. And yes, the yes. story allegedly is that there was a paternity suit. Yes. And he just wasn't coming back. Well, he, he, he never said never. He just didn't want to get served on this thing because it was, it was a nuisance suit. Now, I don't want to get too political here on the drive-thru, because that's really what we do on the experience every now and then. Every now and then? But there is a congresswoman who's been controversial named Lauren Boebert. You've yes. seen this woman. Oh, she's a fucking gun lunatic. Her and her fucking idiot husband own a goddamn restaurant bar and wherever the slovenly state is that she's from named after guns and they have pictures of them in front of it with guns and she wants to take guns into the capitol to protect herself from the fucking democrats that uh that might smarten up and try to fucking kick her out of congress so here's where the story slash question gets interesting okay now she is a congresswoman from let me check i think it's minnesota is it minnesota 
Colorado, excuse me. Colorado. 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 Close enough. <laughs> no, it's not Minnesota's nowhere near. AWA. AWA. <sighs> AWA ran Denver. AWA ran Winnipeg, too. Close enough. So this was sent by this. Where are you going? Listener Jay. This is apparently a post that was made on the Facebook page for Wrestle Reunion in October of 2013. So this is eight years old or a little less than eight years old. And it was a post on the Wrestle Reunion page by someone named Sean Bentz. The post is, will Stan Lane be there? Perhaps he could introduce his 26-year-old daughter, Lauren Roberts Bobert, who he has refused to acknowledge all these years. She looks so much like his mom, who just turned 93, and sadly has never met her granddaughter and four oh, great-grandchildren. By the way, I'm Stan's maternal first cousin. Oh. There might have been a 1990 paternity fraud, but 2013 uh, autosomal, I don't know if that's the word, DNA is awesome. So apparently some listeners have put two and two together. This what in old the post saying that his 26-year-old daughter was Lauren Bobert in 2013. And upon looking at her Wikipedia page, <laughs> she's from Altamonte Springs, Florida, originally. <laughs> Is there anything here? I would be completely surprised, but it's a great story. And actually, I, well, I, I don't say I'd be completely surprised because uh, it definitely isn't the paternity uh, suit that uh, was we were referring to with Stan Lane in Florida to begin with. But I fail to see why that if if he was indeed her father, he wouldn't have got sued over that, too. Uh, so I don't know what's the matter with these people. Remember, wh why is it Stan? Also, remember when he died a few years ago? Yeah, he had a fake. He had a fake funeral. Fake funeral for the fake Stanley. <laughs> yes, for the for those of you out there who may not have heard this story, it was several years ago. A guy died in Memphis, and he had claimed to his wife. They got married later in life that he had previously been one half of the fabulous ones. He was Stan Lane was his wrestling name. Of course, this was completely bullshit. And come to find out, this guy didn't even look anything like Stan Lane. And besides that, these people were from Memphis and Stan Lane was on the fucking highest rated television program in the town for years. And somehow this woman still believed it. And when he died, she called in his obituary saying that Stan Lane of the Fabulous Ones wrestling team had died and people called Stan to get a comment and he was not pleased. And it they they called the newspaper him and him and Sal Corrente was trying to run interference for him. They called the newspaper and said, can you retract this? And they said, well, we don't usually or they said, why didn't you fact check this? They said, we don't fact check obituaries. Well, you should have. And he had to talk them into believing that he was the real guy. And then they called the funeral home and the funeral home was embarrassed about it. But when they had the funeral, they still put pictures of the fabulous ones all around this guy's display because they didn't want to fucking hurt his wife's feelings. Cause come to find out the rest of the family knew he was full of shit, but they didn't want to pop her bubble. 
And then finally, when it became a thing that was written up in the newspaper itself, that Stan Lane was not dead and the whole thing was a hoax, that it just broke her little pea pig in heart. Where was he going on Monday nights when he said it was going to be at the Mid-South Coliseum? Wait a minute. Now, hold on. But wait a minute. We go back. How old is Lauren Boebert, the congressperson? She is currently 34. She was born. She was born December. She was born. She, she was, is born. She was in a born hurricane. December 15th, 1986. Well, Stan was living in Charlotte. In, uh, oh, God damn, he wasn't. He was living in Florida. <laughs> 1985. That's right. <laughs> he was living in Florida for the entire year of 1986. Well, no, it would have been 85. She, well, no, she was born December 86, so it would have been 1986. That's right. Yeah, he was living in Florida because that was right before he joined the Midnight Express and moved to Charlotte. Now, I don't think we should be casting aspersions because, hey, what are the chances that Stan Lane, sweet Stan Lane, the gangster of love, in 1986, living in the state of Florida, being a professional wrestler, would have sexual relations just on a frivolous basis. What are the odds? <laughs> now, that note, allegedly, from Stan's first cousin, mentioned a fraudulent paternity test in 1990. That, well, would, that that, have been, would that have been the year? Well, he got served <laughs> in 19... <laughs> in late... 1988, but I believe that it was finally adjudicated in 1990 that that was a fraud. But that, that we've told that story before. I don't know that we've mentioned the exact year, but that's certainly easily obtained information. That doesn't prove anything. <laughs> oh, Stanfield, couldn't it have been a Democrat? This is a great story. If this is true, this is an amazing story. This but also then, means that she's an heiress to the Midnight Express fortune. Hey, shut up. <laughs> if this was 2013, she was nobody then, right? No, um, she, I don't know what she was doing in Colorado. Let me just see here if I can find this on Wikipedia, which, of course, is always honest. 2013? No, was, I mean, she was like a 26, 27-year-old. She, well, 2013 was the year she obtained her concealed carry permit. <laughs> And then in, 2000, in 2015, she opened a restaurant. Um, no, she opened a restaurant in 2013. So that was the year she opened a restaurant in Colorado. Yeah, but she was nobody on a public basis. that, And no. nobody dreamed she'd be anybody on a public. But she's still nobody on a public basis. But you know what I mean. People know who she is now because she's a lunatic. And she was not involved with politics at all. <sighs> Stanfield, Stanfield, Stanfield. I'm just, I, I don't know what to say. I'm sure it's nothing. Okay. Well, we'll see what we can find out. But I also have an email here. Did you know that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is Tito Santana's daughter? I did not know no, that. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Just want to level the playing field with the Republicans and the Democrats here on the show. Well, why don't, wait a minute. Why doesn't, why doesn't my team get one of the Democrats and give Tito one of the Republicans? What if Stan can get her to turn face? What if she's I acting out her heel... Persona with the guns and everything. 
I have a feeling if there's anything to this, Stan would probably like as little interaction as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I know what you want to talk about. It was the next segment. Oh, no, it's Ito. The six-girl tag team match that they call trios matches now because I guess everybody, they've just decided it's Lucha Libre now. But as most people would know as a six-man or six-woman tag match, this was the kicker, boy. You want to start? Tell us everything you liked about it. Okay. As I said at the top of the show, I may have watched the clip. And when I say the clip, basically by the time the match starts, I'm out. Because the match itself was not good. Maki Ito, whatever I'm about to say to her, does not negate the fact that she's horrible in the ring. She's really, really not a good wrestler. <laughs> However, she may have produced the greatest segment in AEW history. It's right up there with Jade Cargill. I watched this thing like 20 times. So all the various participants in this trio match, as it were, are getting introduced and they're coming down. And not No, work- no, no. No, no. You forget. Some of them didn't even get introduced. Oh, that's right. That's true. But because... Explain this to me. We got to see the entrance of Dr. Britt Baker with Reba and Nyla Rose with Vicky. And then here comes, oh no, it's Maki Ito. And then the other ones just ran out there. Well, they were out there, I think. But either way, they? we never saw him. We came back from a break and here comes Dr. Britt. Either way, like you said, the heel team are introduced, including their managers, Reba and Vicky Guerrero. And then Maki Ito comes out. Now, on the pay-per-view, she was on the pregame show where she sang her song and then did some really bad wrestling. So this time she comes out there. Now, and- wait, now wait a minute. You got you to back up there a second because that the way you phrased that, it sounded like the music might have been good. So critique the singing as well. I got no problem with her singing. That song, maybe because I watched it 20 times. I asked you the question. I said, is this good singing and I've just gone deaf or is this bad singing? You said, no, it's bad singing. I just watched this clip 20 times. That song is stuck in my head. I don't even know what the hell she's saying. It's a catchy little tune. (laughs) So she comes out there. Her music's playing. She starts singing. I don't know if she's saying fight or I, but she's like, fight, 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 fight. And then she starts doing her little dance and her little thing. I guess her gimmick is what they call her, the fired idol. Like she wants yeah, to be. Yeah, because she, she, well, no, she got fired off that because I read the Wikipedia thing. She was on one of those teen pop idol, in one of those teen pop idol groups, and she got fired because apparently she was the shits at that too. So she starts singing her song over the track, like she's Chris Jericho. But then eventually the track stops and she keeps singing. And the reason the track stops is all of the wrestlers in the ring just are fighting with each other. Because her partners are are uh, are the other heels, but the babyface team, Sheeta and Thunder Rosa, poor Thunder Rosa in this thing, and old Rio de Janeiro with the furball in her stomach, they jump. So the babyfaces jump-started the heels while one of the heels was still singing. So that didn't make any sense to begin with. And she was going to get her song in because it didn't (laughs) stop her. She keeps going and she's just doing all sorts of her little act. Meanwhile, Hikaru Shida at some point goes to the floor 
and gets into a sword fight yes. with Reba. She has a kendo stick yes. and Reba has a metal crutch. Yes. And boom, you hear it. And they're getting into a sword fight. While this is happening, again, Maki Ito's still dancing. I think think there was heat because Reba at one point kind of fucking shoved Sheeta around a little bit and turned around like she was hot. I think it was one like, what the fuck are you doing, lady? We'll get there in a second because while all this is going on, the cameras are cutting back and forth between the action on the floor, Maki Ito singing and dancing. They find two fans in the crowd dancing and they show them, but they show them with a camera angle that you can see everyone else around them is sitting down. And just like, what is going on here? So then the AEW women's champion, Hikaru Shida, is having this fight on the floor, crutch versus kendo stick with Reba. Vicky Guerrero comes over there and gives her what, because it's a wide shot, what appears to be a little kick in the leg. Shida goes down. Shida's now <laughs> selling for Vicky Guerrero. Vicky Guerrero and Reba start laughing with each other, like looking at each other, laughing, holding their mouths. So then Vicky Guerrero somehow gets to Kendo stick. Again, Maki Ito singing and dancing while all this is happening with no backing track. It's incredible. And Vicky Guerrero goes to choke the AEW women's champion Sheeta with the Kendo stick, but she loses her grip on the Kendo stick. So Sheeta goes down choking herself. I mean, it's kind of quick, but you watch it. She's holding the kendo stick to her own neck until Vicky Guerrero gets her grip back. Then the camera cuts away. The next time we see the action on the floor, Sheeta is being thrown away by Reba. Again, Sheeta is the women's champion. Yes. And yes. she's being made a fool of by Vicky Guerrero. And a one-legged manager. And Reba. And if that isn't bad enough, she gets pushed away by Reba right in the direction of the stage where Maki Ito is still singing and dancing, but she's <laughs> concluding her song, her performance, right as she's concluding it with a big smile on her face and her hands are going. Sheena gets up there and Maki Ito takes the microphone. I've never seen it done like no, this. No, wait a minute. You got to remember there was a swing and a duck. She just swung at her and Maki, the heel, ducked the baby face. Maki Ito ducked. <laughs> <laughs> the AEW Women's Champion, who's just been made to look like a piece of shit by the two managers at ringside, including Vicky Guerrero. I mean, Reba was at least a wrestler. Vicky was never an athlete in the business. She was just a manager and a GM or whatever. She's been made to look like a piece of garbage by them. She gets on the stage. She goes to punch Maki Ito. She misses that. Maki Ito turns around with the microphone. And we've all seen like someone get hit with the microphone. Because you get the boom sound, it creates you a get the boom cool over the over the PA system. Yeah, but you kind of have to like make it look like you're hitting the person. She hits her with the slowest, softest mic shots of all time, so you get the sound. And she just selling it like you know she's getting killed. Yes, but they look like shit. Meanwhile, Shivani, no, no, it doesn't look like doesn't look like shit. Doesn't even take it anywhere into account. It looked like a three year old toddler with a. A, a an ice cream cone uh, play fighting with another toddler. It was not even any attempt to make these uh, look like violent blows. It was just like kids playing with each other. It visually, that's why it circulated on Twitter because it was so preposterous. And that's when Jr. jumps in and says, "Live TV, folks." But meanwhile, Shivani and Excalibur are losing their minds. They're laughing. They're laughing at this whole thing. They're treating it like the joke that it is. Yeah. 
this whole segment, forget about the match. No one needs to see this match. The match isn't good. Maki Ito, not good in the ring. But this minute and a half or so, from the moment Maki Ito comes out until the moment that Shida is down on the ground in pain is one of the most astounding things I've ever seen on live wrestling. I watched it live and I was like, what did I just see? I couldn't believe it. This is on the same show where the heavyweight champion asked his manager to 69 him in the middle of the ring. This is on the same show where we got NBA audio, including Marvin Gaye singing his greatest hits during a match. On this show, the takeaway moment is the Maki Ito singing and dancing while the champion is destroyed by everyone until she gets to Maki Ito and then gets attacked with the worst mic shots ever. This is up there with Jay Cargill as being the greatest segment in the history of AEW TV. I watched it over and over again because there are certain things that are just so bad, they're amazing. This is greatness. This is, they can never repeat this. They can never redo this exactly the way it was and the camera work and everything. This was, again, right next to Jade, Maybe even beating Jade as my favorite segment in the history of AEW. See, now I'm pissed at you because when it, you sent me an email said, whatever you do, don't skip the girls match. You got to see this match. <laughs> so I watched the match. I didn't know once that fucking Maki Ito finished taking a shit on television that you were done with it. I watched the entire match. I watched the match too, but I'm just saying in terms of what people out there need to go out of their way to see. Oh no, well, there was more. <laughs> And by the way, because we're talking about the match, you say whatever you want. I just want to say one thing about the match. I feel like they are dead set on hurting Britt Baker one way yes. or another. They're going to hospitalize her again. <laughs> At first, you couldn't really even fucking tell who was wrestling who because it was such a mess with all the, you know, six way and et cetera, and the managers. But then Sheeta and Maki Ito were in there forever. Then comes. Rio Matsunaga or whatever fucking name is with more fake chops and pulling a fake rope like a mime, like she did on the pay-per-view. She did it again. Nobody bothered to tell her never do that again. So she's actually, and, and there is fucking, Maki Ito staying in the corner while this fucking girl fucking hits her with fake chops over and over while making funny faces and running in place and then goes out in the middle of the ring and pulls a fake rope from side to side and then goes back and hits her again and she's standing in the corner for it. And then, as you mentioned, Sheeta at one point snap suplexed Rio supposedly into Britt Baker. They missed her, thank goodness. Because it would have probably hurt her, but it missed the fucking... The move they were trying to do would have hurt her, but thankfully they missed it, like every other move they tried to do. Every time that either Maki Ono or Rio de Janeiro breathe, it's embarrassing. Poor Thunder Rosa. She's outnumbered by the fucking chlorophyll crew here. They're all green, and it, but at one point she was going to dive off the top rope onto everybody, and she saw Britt Baker in the ring... She got down, grabbed her, shit-canned her, looked like there was a little discussion of what should be done, and then goes back up to the same corner and then dives off onto everybody, including her partners. So, the Thunder Run, the best female athlete along with Serena Deeb they've had, and now she's doing stupid shit, too. 
And then there was sloppy stuff with Reba and the crutch. And then Thunder Rosa just dropped old Maki Ono on her head legitimately, fairly stiffly. One, two, three. And then Britt Baker comes back on Thunder Rosa, hits her with the crutch, and they get in a schmoz with the girls on the floor. Britt Baker locked jaws Thunder Rosa. Every match, main event, preliminary, whatever, also has to have an afterbirth to just really leave a bad taste in your mouth. Nobody can just win and leave. There's got to be heat after or some kind of issue. This w- this could have been top to bottom the most unprofessional display of alleged pro wrestling that I've seen on major league television. And I loved it. I loved every <laughs> moment of it. It was great. You can disparage Maki Ito by calling her Ono. I don't know if that's a shot at Sonny Ono or Yoko Ono, but she is Maki Ito. She is, the fact that she's so bad in the ring makes everything else so amazing. Because she seems like she's really into her performance. Oh, she's having a ball. She's having a great time. And the commentators are too. And the two fans in the crowd that stood up to dance, they were too. She is amazing. I can't believe... This is her act, and this is all happening here. This was just such an amazing segment. This AEW women's division, it never lets you down, and it always lets you down. (laughs) There's just so much here. I love this segment so much. I really do. I I wish Riho was in this match. The more we see these other girls from Joshi Princess Pro or, uh, or whatever the apartment house is, the more I do appreciate Riho. Riho is tiny, but I, I realized it the other day because I was watching her on something. She always has that look on her face, like, you know, derp. And <laughs> I can appreciate Riho the more I see these other people like Maki Ito and Rio Matsunaga or whatever her name is. You I'm know, just, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say this because everybody's like, and even you sometimes, oh, so-and-so is not a Japanese schoolgirl. Well, I've seen too many of them. They've muddied the water. The point is, people are starting to come around and realize, what's Cornette been saying all along? Just because a female is of Japanese descent does not genetically predispose them to be a great professional wrestler. Yes, as we've talked about, the 90s All Japan Women Dojo, they didn't train those girls, they tortured them. They were serious as heart attacks. They were in fucking shape and they could fucking work. And honestly, I thought they did too much also because when if, the one girl, what was her name? You might remember it broke her fucking neck in the, in the match, taking a tombstone pile driver off the turnbuckles and finished the match while holding her broken neck and head in place with one arm and finished the match with the other arm. Little too far. And also, I always thought, watching those matches on tape, that obviously they did too much because if, if, if they're doing stuff that should hurt a 250-pound man, but a 125-pound girl lives, so, you know, it's fucking too much. But I wasn't offended by that because nobody in America was going to see Japanese women's wrestling. It was for the minute tape-trading audience, a niche group and it wasn't going to look make american wrestling look bad or the the fans weren't going to see this and it obviously be an expose well look that fucking 
120 pound girl took that and the, the guys get carried out in an ambulance over it here because nobody was ever going to see it here. But now two things have happened. Number one, they brought Japanese female wrestling to us. And number two, they didn't even bother to set up a training program equivalent to the one they had then, but instead they have joke outlaw wrestling groups, male and female in Japan, as well as they do here in this country. And that's where I've been explaining all along. And now people are finally realizing, oh golly, that's where Twinkle Toes gets his talent from is the Japanese outlaw women's groups, not competent, trained, experienced professionals, goofy Japanese fetish objects, whether it's fetishes or cultural differences, whatever the fuck you want to call it, it's both incapable of getting over in the United States on a mainstream basis, and it's embarrassing to the wrestling business. They're playing cosplay wrestlers. I say this, but this is legitimately it. The girls are cosplaying as wrestlers when they're failed pop idols and fucking 12-year-old gymnasts. And this is what fucking Harpo has contributed to American television. Let's put rotten talent on national TV and make the wrestling business look bad at the same time. And everybody's been saying for a year and a half, oh, Cornette, yeah, but now they're starting to fucking see. And you like it. I like this. This was great. And again, I think there are some bad Japanese women wrestlers, but there are good ones too. And I feel sometimes you get so upset about the bad ones that you overlook the good ones. Or you put down the good ones. You're prejudiced against the good ones because of the bad ones. You think if you ate eight hot dogs in a row from different places and they all fucking made you sick, would you eat number nine? Or would you just say, fuck it, I'm done with hot dogs? That's a good point. (laughs) All right. That's a good point. The moral to that story. Ah, there was a moral to the story. There was a moral there. The the morals. The morals of the story are the most important thing, young Brian. (laughs) I'm a little distracted. Someone, who is this? Who? I don't know. I'm going to give this guy credit. I don't know why he sent this to me, but I'm laughing at the headline because I don't know anything about this. Someone on Twitter, Andrew Monahan. Just sent me this article from a British newspaper. The headline is Mars Bars Up Arse Champ branded a cheat for using the small multi pack one. What now? <laughs> I didn't even understand all the words that you just read there. Can you please give that to me slower and in English? Well, they don't have them here in America anymore, but you know what a Mars bar is, of course. The, the well, I didn't know they didn't have a Mars bars. It was a fucking candy bar. I didn't know they, do they not make them now? I was under the impression they don't make Mars bars domestically, only for the other countries. I don't know. I was never a Mars bars consumer. I've just heard of them, obviously. Well, the headline is Mars Bars Up Arse Champ. So apparently he's the champion of sticking. Oh, Up Arse. Arse. A-R-S-E. It's the way that the folks across the pond say ass. So uh, The Mars Bars 
up the arse mean he's a champion of sticking Mars bars up his ass is what you're well you would you would think but apparently he's been branded a cheat for using the small multi-pack ones. well god damn it now who can you trust anymore so i got distracted because i was like what is this and then i read the first paragraph the world of competitive (laughs) 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 the world of competitive confectionery up arsing is in turmoil turmoil after the man who held the mars bars up bum record had his title withdrawn. <laughs> so apparently the title's been vacated. Okay, continuing, <laughs> c- continuing on, does it give any background on his competition, where it got started, where it's it's where it's perpetrated at? Mark Anderson had kept his record of squeezing 12 of the popular household treats up into his otherwise out-of-bounds bun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the British. Up. <laughs> up into his otherwise out-of-bounds bumhole since last summer. But now, the all-powerful International Anal Insertion Association has ripped the award back off the garden Wait a minute, wait a minute. The IAIA? <laughs> the IAIA sanctions this? That's right. Well, and it's got to be legitimate. The Outfit's Official Rules and Regulations Committee says Mark, 41, Broke all their bum fudge guidelines. (laughs) Broke all their bum fudge guidelines as he failed to use standard size 51 grams Mars bars to pack up his fundament. (laughs) And they're insisting his use of the smaller. You gotta have good fundamentals. His use of the smaller 39.4 gram bars from popular multi packs means his record claim. Is now void. Now I'm not even gonna. Now read. wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on here. Say how many did he? How many did he? Twelve. Twelve, and they were thirty nine point four grams. Yes. So it's three nine. That's almost five hundred grams he had up his ass. I bet you some Colombians would like to talk to this guy. Without even reading any of the rest of it, there's a uh, second. Is there pictures? There, there are pictures, and and this man does look quite sad. And his wife is here, too. His wife? Maybe she helps. I don't what, know. What record does she hold? Well, the next... is, it, is, it, is it for corn on the cob or large summer squash or a real good eggplant? Possibly a watermelon? Certainly not kumquats. So the, ne- the next section is labeled leakage. But Mark is furious that this was never pointed out to him at the time of his great effort and is demanding his title is reinstated. He told Sunday Sport, well, this is in the sports section. You have to wonder if anyone could contemplate the idea of getting 12 Mars bars up your arse. I tell you what, it takes a lot of time and effort to get them all up there, (laughs) snugly fitted, without any chocolate leakage. To suggest that I was somehow cheating when really I was just being thrifty by saving some cash on the multipack is devastating. It has literally added insult to injury because having that amount of chocolate packed inside your arse (laughs) takes some doing and doesn't lend itself to comfort. Mark is now being comforted by his wife, Pat, 37. (laughs) How old is she? Well. 
How old is she? 37, but hold 37. on. Hold on. Don't bury the lead. Herself, a record holder <laughs> for having fitted an impressive 14 fries Turkish delights up her front bottom. <laughs> what the fuck is this? Oh. She said, quote, our Mark has done his level best to reach his greatness. And this is how those fucking snide treat him. I'm worried sick now. They might try to take my own title off me, too. All that work for nothing. It's, an, it's enough to make a grown man cry. And it wouldn't surprise me if our Mark did. Not just when he set his record, either. So... It has nothing to do with anything, but this article just popped up my Twitter feed, so I had to uh, let you know why I was laughing. Uh, oh, all right. <laughs> I have, well, no, it's it. There was several haws that were hawed out this week. We have not spoken, you and I, very much, a couple, just on a couple of quick topics. But I haven't filled you in on I've just given you teases. Like one time you called me a couple days ago. I said, well... The tow trucks got the car off the fence. And then a day or so ago, you called me request. I said, well, I can't hear you because of the sound of the excavator. So I believe I have told people in the past, the people in the past, that I live on what formerly was a very isolated, small, tiny, narrow country road that when it was, when it was first put in, it was basically a two and a half or three mile stretch that you go through three or four farmers properties and then as people began moving in here in the 50s that bought the properties from the farmers then there was a few people that lived here but up until even just several years ago we had some peace and fucking quiet out here on this road but now with all the new developments that have come in everywhere and the industrial park miles down the road and the interstates getting hectic over on the other side people have discovered my little tiny street not even a street as i said it's a road after you go around the big old dairy farm you come into a stretch where there's two 90 degree turns one to the right one to the left while going downhill and then uphill tree-lined streets and for about a half a mile you don't even come out of the canopy of the trees they're right next to the street while it's going uphill and downhill all these construction trucks and these people that drive like maniacs, as George Carlin said, anybody that's driving faster than you is a maniac. Anybody driving slower than you is an idiot. Well, they lean toward maniacs around here. So anyway, and we've had issues. Uh, two, two houses over, the neighbor's son, at, at several years ago, some idiot late for work. That'll play into this story. Fucking just broadsides him, pulling out of his own driveway, coming up over the blind hill like a maniac, right into his vintage Jaguar. Ooh. It, yeah. Almost killed him. Put them all in the fucking... Another time, I was sitting here, minding my own business in my office, and I look out the window, <laughs> and I see some idiot going about 60 or 70 miles. I, I, I had just processed in my mind. That's the fastest I've ever seen anyone drive on this road. When he got up over the hill out of sight and I heard. And he had met coming because the road is not legitimately wide enough 
for two vehicles. The, they came and they, they widened it. The county did about 10 years ago, 18 inches to supposedly make it legal. But then they put a curb on, which makes it like a bobsled run. There's a curb on one side of some of the road now, which just further fucking throws things into chaos. So this guy going over the hill, the, his left tires had run up over the wheel well of a guy hauling a trailer, and he had just Joey Chitwooded himself up on two wheels and off into a tree in the woods on the other side. And there was his car crashed up into this tree, hood up, a trunk up, and this get what the guy had got out and run off because he was some teenage idiot that lived way down across the forest, right? And he figured he's going to run home, left his car with his license plate and his left shoe in the fucking car. And by the time he could get through those goddamn woods, the cops were already at his house waiting for him when he fucking turned up. Um, they've taken two of my mailboxes. They killed that deer. We told the story on the program here a few years ago, right in front. So the point is we're fed up with these people driving like this around here, right? So Tuesday morning, Tuesday, a day like any other day, I left the post office for the castle in decay. <laughs> and well, you're not a, you're not a sticks fan anyway. Um, so I get home and here's the Monroe brothers, Alf and Ralph had sh have showed up and, and they're working down at, at, at the Creek in the back. They're putting me a stone little patio sitting area down. So anyway, I get them started. They got two trucks cause they're hauling all this stone and I get them started and I come back and I sit down in the TV room and I start packing action figure boxes. Cause what else would I be doing on a waking moment in my home, packing action figure boxes. And by the way, I'll get the plug in now. Folks, another couple of hundred figures have gone out since we have spoken. And all the two-packs, by the time you hear this, the domestic two-packs will have been filled. And now we're starting on the single individual figure orders. And those are going to take probably the next 10 to 14 days. And then we're going for the, uh, well, 10 days. 10 days tops. Because then we're going for the figures and other items and the internationals. And I could be done with this thing in the next four weeks. Anyway, so I sit down and start doing the action figures. All of a sudden, I hear this tremendous crash of rending metal and And the first thought, my God, the Monroe brothers, Alf in his truck and Ralph in his truck in my driveway have run into each other right outside in my driveway. And I come out there and I said, what? And they're, they're, they're back at the creek with their trucks. I look down to the road and there's this woman has stopped her car going east up the hill, right in front of my, or not even up the hill yet, but right in front of my driveway, getting ready to go up the hill, has stopped and is getting out of her car. And there's somebody coming over the hill going west. I see stopping now and I'm like, what the fuck? I can't see around these two big green bushes on the fence row in between me and the neighbor, but they're looking at something. And then I have to walk halfway down the driveway. And then I realize, Brian, if I'm lying, I'm flying and my feet have not left the ground, but this car did. There is a white Ford Mustang sideways up over the goddamn on top of my fence in between me and the next door neighbor right on the road, right next to my power pole. And its tires are still spinning. And I, what the fuck is this now? <laughs> I can't even be in my home. They won't leave me alone. 
So I, I go, I have to, I not climb because my front fence sits back off the road. If you saw the whole layout, you would understand. But nevertheless, I got to go run around through my gate, my driveway gate, and then come back up to where in the my front yard, in between me and the neighbor, there's this car turned sideways. Both left tires are over the top of this four or five foot wire farm fence between me and the neighbor. And they're still spinning. And this teenage kid was an 18-year-old kid was driving this Ford Must white Ford Mustang. He is pulling the other people in this car out of the car and dragging them up to where they can sit under the tree. And it's not like he's pulling out dead bodies. He's pulling them out of the car because it's fucking halfway upside down and it requires climbing. They're all ambulatory, right? They're bum-fuzzled and confused about the whole situation, obviously. But they're moving around. And I said, is, any, is everybody okay? And some woman standing there goes, yes, yes, he's got them all out there sitting under the tree wondering where the fuck they went wrong. <laughs> and just then the other woman has come from the other side said, well, because the, 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 the hood is up. The hood's up along with the tires and, and the hood's up in the air. And this thing's sideways over the fence. And what happened, the reason why I didn't take the whole fence over is because it is sitting on a heavy-duty metal guide wire to the power pole that provides my electricity that is up 50 feet in the fucking air, and this thing's on the guide wire, and it's bending. The the wire is bending slightly, but that's the thing that kept the stopped the car. It would have gone. It had to flip a couple of times. So anyway, so the woman says, the, the engine is smoking. Is it still running? I said, hey! Is you turn this car off because you're on sitting on top of a goddamn power pole and the engine's <laughs> smoking. And the fucking guy's running back in there to turn the car off. Right? And my God, Jesus. Oh. So then while I'm surveying whether is my power pole cracked, is it going to come down on all of us? That's a live electrical wire. Is this fucking car catching on fire? I'm standing away from it. And sir, and my fence is fucked on the, the front of it, the big metal pole on the end, and another one of those tubular metal poles is all knocked out of the ground and bent over. And they've destroyed one of those green bushes. Motherfucker. Spending all this money to plant this shit. Somebody comes along and wipes this shit out. And, and this is right where my fucking lawnmower was here, too, along with the Monroes. And he had been mowing that part 15 minutes before this guy fucking dropped in. So anyway. Apparently, before I go any further with the story, apparently what happened, this is a one-car accident. This guy's coming through the, the narrowest, tree-linedest, most, you know, really tiny part of this road and comes up over the hill from the other side. And from what I've seen now, had to be doing 60 to 70 miles an hour, which is unheard of. If you saw this, you'd go, what the fuck? Because apparently when he got at the top of the hill and he saw the woman that stopped, that I saw stopped coming the other way, he moves over to the right and overcorrects. And once you run off the right side of the road, you're in the fucking woods, right? And he fucking, boom, jumps back across the road all the way to the left into my neighbor's front yard, mows over his goddamn fire hydrant. Now we know that it's all bullshit in the movies when you knock the fire hydrant over and the water shoots up. No, it doesn't do anything. 
Either that or they gave him a gimmick fire hydrant. More on that later. <laughs> then, as I said, apparently to land in this way, the car had to roll at least once. And it missed an, a, a, a maple tree so big a grown man can't reach around it by about three feet. And ca- when it came to rest, the end of the car was two feet from another fucking tree. That you, So if he'd have been two feet over, it just wrapped the whole thing around the tree and killed everybody. But he managed to land in the fucking safety netting of my goddamn fence, right? <clears throat> so anyway, I've surveyed this. They've turned the car off. The engine's still steaming. The power pole doesn't look like it's going to fall down. I'm surveying this from about 30 <laughs> feet away in my front yard. Surveying. And this woman, the surveying the scene. How? <laughs> and the woman comes up to me, the first one to stop and said, do you have a pen and paper? I said, no, I was just in my goddamn house. I said, no, I don't have a pen and paper. She says, well, I need to give you my... Uh, my name and number because I'm late for work. What? I'll give you my information. I said, lady, I ain't involved in this, except that that's my fence. And I said, you're late for work. I'm worried who's going to pay for my fence. And I turn around and start to walk back up the driveway, right? Because, I, you know, it, the cops are coming. There's Now there's at least, I would say, eight people out in the neighbor's yard stopped coming that way. And there's three or four more cars stopped coming this way where people have got out and gathered around, and I'm not in the mood for a goddamn social gathering that I didn't call for in my front yard, so I'm going to go back to the house, right? So I start walking up the driveway, and guess what she did, Brian? The woman who said, well, I need to give you my information. You could have it because I'm late for work. And when I said, well, I'm worried about my fence and turn around to leave, she said, oh, you don't care if the people are injured? It hit me wrong. I turned around and I just, I wanted to make sure that everybody heard this. So it was, it was much louder than what I am recreating for you here now in the program. But I said, no, no, I fucking don't. I don't give a fuck about you, you fucking douchebag. I don't give a fuck about all you motherfuckers up there. I did not ask one (laughs) single solitary son of a bitch to come over here this morning and drop a fucking car on my fucking fence. I'm sick of you fucking morons (laughs) that don't know how to fucking drive. It's goddamn obvious you're a fucking imbecile, and I hope you flatline on the way to the fucking hospital. Who's going to pay for my fucking fence? Fuck all of you. (laughs) Get fucked. (laughs) And I came back up, and then I told... I'm so fucking mad... And now the Monroe brothers, it's like, cause now they've sent, by the time I get up to the fucking house again, they've sent an ambulance. Apparently the the kid driving, he had mud on his face and his arm was cut. And later on, we said that there, a lot of people were saying, well, he's lucky he's alive. They take him to the hospital. He's lucky he was alive. I should have been the first one down there. But anyway, now it's ambulance and the goddamn fire truck is coming. And here could they close the street for hours. There's pieces of his car laying out in the road. And the Monroe brothers go down there and they're they're gonna watch so I don't have to fucking deal with these people and find out when there's somebody that's gonna tell me who's gonna fucking do I need to have part of this police report to give my insurance for this fucking fence deal, right? 
So it's all this goddamn falderall and for hours and they fucking everybody finally is they've got the emergency vehicles out of here. They're letting cars by and they'd been turning them around forever. And of course we didn't get one of our deliveries cause they had to turn everybody around. Um, so then one of the Monroe brothers comes up and says, well, that cop there, he's taking a report. So I go over there or down there. And I said, officer, I said, I, what do I need a copy of the police report <laughs> or whatever? I've never been in a situation like this where somebody just dropped. They see, said, well, how are you involved? I said, that's my fence because the car is still there. <laughs> they didn't come and bring the tow truck and get all that shit till later. <laughs> and he's, but anyway, I said, that's my fence. I said, so I do. He, he, I said, is this an insurance thing? What goes on here? He said, oh, were you the one yelling? Okay, I think I was. That's exactly exactly what I was thinking before. All these people, you said there's eight people in your neighbor's yard. They're all around this accident. All of a sudden, hey, there's some guy screaming. (laughs) And he said, well, you you weren't concerned that anyone was hurt or killed? I said, no, because I already knew. That's the first thing I asked. Once that I ascertained that nobody was hurt or killed, and that there was nobody else involved in that accident except that stupid idiot driving 70 miles an hour down this road that you patrol every day, I'm sure. Um, then I, my sympathy went to my fence, especially when that woman pissed me off because she was going to be late to work. I didn't ask any of these people to drop in. I said, we've had, you know, all the accident reports. I said, you know, the way people drive around here. He said, well, he's lucky to be alive. I said, yeah, I figured that. So he takes my shit. He says, all right, here's the thing with the, you can get the copy of the accident. And then I realized, well, what the fuck? I got a $500 deductible. And so, but it, so really it basically it's going to, it cost me $500 for these people to drop in on me being stupid and acting like an idiot. So no, I got no fucking sympathy. So anyway, then the, and his, the, his story to the cops was that someone pulled out of a driveway and threw him off, and then he lost control. Problem with that was, if once again, if you saw the layout, the two driveways that could possibly have been involved in something like that, nobody was home at either house. And so elsewise, somebody pulled out of a driveway, and he went out of control and went up <laughs> 100 feet up a fucking hill, over the top of a hill, and then down while still out of control because of that driveway. Anyway, the neighbor comes home and sees all this shit and then calls me to find out what has. So this is the better part of goddamn, you know, Tuesday during the day to like 3 o'clock for all of this gaga. Then... We had record weather Tuesday night here in, in Louisville. Brian, did you hear about this? Read about this. This I has did. never happened before. I did not. I've been on mute most of the time because I'm dying over here listening well, to Well, let me know if you need some goddamn oxygen because there's more shit coming up. So <laughs> anyway, as I mentioned, Tuesday, the Monroe brothers were out in the yard working. Tuesday, it was 70 degrees at fucking five o'clock in the afternoon. Overnight Tuesday, a cold front comes through, and Louisville, Kentucky got two inches of snow. It's the latest in a year we've ever had measurable snowfall. It also was obviously was a record amount, and for the first time ever, my dogwood tree out in the front. I just tweeted a picture, so a lot of people have seen this. Actually, Stacy took the picture and tweeted it, but it was my direction of doing that. 
For the first time ever, it's the same age as me. I've never seen it in full bloom with snow on the leaves. It was freaky. It was, and then by the next morning, we wake up two inches of snow, and by noon, it's 47 degrees and it's all melted off. And then guess what happens at two o'clock in the afternoon? You're not guessing. I have no idea what happens at two o'clock. It snows again. It snowed for five minutes, flakes as big as Kellogg's cornflakes at 47 fucking degrees on Wednesday here. And then Thursday, guess what happened on Thursday, Brian? The weather got warmer. No, we're we're back to the fucking accident. The weather. Oh, back to the accident. Did they finally get the truck off or the car off the fence? Well, no, the car left by Tuesday afternoon, but now we forgot about that poor little defenseless fire hydrant. Because this fucking moron has just plowed it off the fire hydrant. The only, the one that I guess it's, because we didn't used to have city water out here till about 25 years ago, and then we never had fire hydrants. They used to have to bring a tanker truck if anything went on, but the fire hydrants went in 10, 15 years ago, whatever. I've never seen one in action, but I guess it's the only one for like five or six properties or, you know, immediately adjacent. So this is a thing they need to address. So guess what it, guess how many city employees it takes to fix a fire hydrant? Probably about eight. Well, they had an excavator. You know that thing with the big shovel bucket on the front that digs the big trenches? Yeah. They had the thing that the excavator rode in on. They had two dump trucks. They brought a truck of of dump. A truck of dump. They brought a dump truck of dirt and then had an empty dump truck for the to put the dirt in that they dug up. I'm not sure what the fuck was going on there. They had two pickup trucks. They had two police cars, one at one end, of the, one over the hill, and one on this side uh, to block one lane and, and fucking deviate all the traffic. And uh, it, there was, okay, two, four, six, seven vehicles there. So about 10 people. If you don't count the cops, your estimate was correct. Uh, they dug a 15-foot-long ditch with a goddamn amount of dirt that was about four feet high and about 15 feet long, did whatever you do to fix a fire hydrant and covered the whole thing back up. And that took the better part of the day on Thursday down there. So I had a steady, it looked like a goddamn Macy's parade just right in front of my house because they stopped them instantly right in front of my property. <sighs> People wonder why I'm antisocial. Were you wearing the cornet face shirt when you? No, were, I wasn't. When you were screaming at this I was woman. making it, but I wasn't wearing it. What the fuck? I you can't. I swear to God, you know Ronnie Garvin used to tell me. He said, "Oh, you're scared in the accent. You're scared to fly, but then you're going to be like the guy on the news. He he didn't like to fly, so he was asleep in bed in his house, and a plane crashed on his house. They just drop in." Anyway, <laughs> you um, don't you just you don't see that every day. Usually, when there's a car accident, people get together. They try to come up with a solution. I mean, some people just keep driving by, but if it's a small little area, people will pull over and try to help. You don't usually see some guy <laughs> start screaming, "Good, I'm glad they're hurt. I hope they flatline." <laughs> I want to see his fucking head sticking out of the gas tank. <laughs> 
Well, you know, do you, do they ever interview the owner of the fucking property where the guy's car is stuck through the living room window? I bet he'd have a different fucking out, outlook on the goddamn thing. If if the guy had been driving responsibly and swerved to miss a deer, I would have goddamn hell. I would have not only helped him out of his car and given him CPR. I would have chipped in to buy him a new car. That's a a one quality human being. 70 miles an hour with three of your friends or relatives or whoever the fuck of approximately the same age in a fucking car doing 70 miles an hour through the woods on a fucking street 12 feet wide. Fuck you. You deserve to run into the goddamn tree. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm just telling you. Hey, <laughs> and then the cop says to you, were you the guy? Yelling? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> apparently they got my message. <laughs> Oh my and God. here's another, somebody said, well, a dumb teenager in a sports car. <laughs> I was 16 when I got my driver's license and my first car was a Pontiac Firebird. It was a rather snazzy thing. It was used, but still that didn't mean I figured I was Mario Andretti or Joey Chitwood and his thrill show and just decided to go out and do stunts. I was responsible. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, the story with me and Russo. That was over China's match. That one time we had the thing in the hallway and he went to Vince on me. It was China against who? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Because we had a Monday Night Raw, two hours long. There were eight matches. We did the production meeting and six of the matches were going to end in disqualification. And I'm shaking my head already, right? So I'm one of the agents and and whatever matches I had and and not only raw matches, but we did other stuff that night. So I'm flittering around. And and by the way, I was never an agent for China for any of her matches because I was never an agent for anything involving Michaels and Helmsley because Vince already knew how I felt about them after the curtain call. So I was relieved from having anything. It was always either Jack Lanza or Pat Patterson if it was a pay-per-view or whatever. So I never had to fucking work with that group as the agent, and I was happy with that. I was over with the guys that were more serious about the wrestling business and not being divas or prima donnas. But they come, one of the production assistants comes up because I've got the raw format and I'm working off of it. And if you get, if there's any changes, you're supposed to be told. And is it, they've changed the finish. What? In the, in trip in uh, China's match with one of the girls, it was a match with a girl. And what is it? No, because she was something happened. She was going to lose. There was going to be some fucking business. I think she was going to lose it. They changed it to a DQ. I said, what? Yeah, Triple H went in and talked to Russo. <laughs> oh, God damn it. So I go and I find Russo in the hallway. I said, Vince, I said, you just made another one, a DQ. Now we've got seven DQs out of eight matches on this program. And it wasn't even who was in it. It was just the idea of that's ridiculous, right? It's just garbage, garbage, lazy booking. And he looked at me when I said, we've got seven out of eight DQs now. Are we, do we need to do this? He said, DQ, shmeq, nobody cares. And turned around <laughs> like he was going to walk off from me. <laughs> that is I swear hysterical. that's a quote. I swear it's a quote. And now, see, here's the thing. I had gone over to him in the corner of the hall in the arena, 
People are walking around, but we're having a quiet discussion. Well, I said, we got seven DQs. And it's loudly and with a look on his face and like he knows something about wrestling that I don't, which is goddamn ridiculous. And this DQ schmeq, nobody cares and starts to walk away. And that's when I said, well, I tell you what, motherfucker, you're going to care in about a year, year and a half when you're back running a fucking video store because you put this whole place out of business. And all the boys heard that. And instead of coming back and getting in my face and asking me if I wanted to say anything further, or could we settle this, or do we need to go out in the parking lot, or I'm sorry, or boo to a goose or anything, he just puts his fucking tail between his legs and slinks off down the hallway and goes to Vince's office and says, Vince, Cornette was yelling at me and talking to me, talking down to me in front of the boys. So then Vince goes and gets JR. JR, go find out why Cornette's talking down to Vince Russo and yelling at him in front of the boys. So JR, a few minutes later, comes up to me. What are you doing talking and yelling at Vince Russo in front of the boys? I said, I'll tell you exactly what happened. And I told him exactly what was said and, and everything I just said to you. I said, we were talking quiet. He decides to bow up at me. I'm not going to fucking take it. He's a piece of shit. And if he's got anything to say to me, he can say, to, say it to me personally. But that's why it happened. And I'm not apologizing to anybody. And JR goes back and tells Vince McMahon, yeah, Cornette was fucking registering uh, his consternation that we had seven DQs on the program. And Vince got loud and Cornette got louder. And Vince McMahon believed that. And that was the last I heard of it. Uh, but it like fucking DQ schmeq, nobody care. And by the way, <laughs> I was off by nine months, nine months. And Vince, because it was well, in a year and a half or two years or whatever. And it was two years and like nine months. Vince Russo was back running a video store in Atlanta after he had put WCW out of business. People have sent this in. I don't know if you saw it, but it may be fun to go through this. Alan Blackstock on Twitter at Alan underscore Cheap Shot, a friend of mine, a friend of the show, did a thread entitled Hulk Hogan's Lies Over the Years. <laughs> did you see any of this? I, I well, I, I saw the the initial tweet and, follow, and I didn't follow the thread because I've heard many of the lies, but we can go over them here if you'd like. All right, well, here are some of them, and Alan does a good job researching these, so I'm sure these are all accurate. The wrestler director Darren Aronofsky offered him the lead role three times. Hogan claims he turned it down because he didn't deserve it. Aronofsky categorically denies that Hogan was ever considered for the role. <laughs> well, besides it, just the, the fucking hell. Can you see the the footage where he's working at the deli and he gets mad at the meat slicer and everything? There's a six foot eight fucking three hundred twenty five pound Hulk Hogan's working there. That wouldn't be distracting from the overall story of the the movie. Yeah, Hulk Hogan was an all state pitcher in high school, and he was scouted by both the New York Yankees and the Cincinnati Reds, but an what? injury prevented him from signing with either team. <laughs> Oh my god yeah the injury was when the 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 fucking scout that was looking at him went blind uh yeah by the way how much did he hate randy savage so much that he made up a story about being scouted by the cincinnati reds yes 
who Randy Savage actually was and did play for the minor league affiliate of et cetera, et cetera. That's and right. so now I've never even heard that one. <laughs> it's a good one. I never heard that one either. Here's another one. Oh, this is an interesting one for you. Hulk Hogan claims he's the one who first noticed Kevin Owens' potential. What? Here's a quote. Well, I hate to brag about it, but I'm the first one to point the finger at Kevin Owens. And then Alan uh, wrote, after a decade of solid work on the Indies. <laughs> I, I was about to say, I guarantee you, people were talking about Steen for good and bad before Hulk Hogan had ever heard of him. Hulk Hogan starred in the movies Mr. Nanny and Santa with Muscles. Hogan claims he rewrote both scripts entirely, only to have his writing credit stolen from him by the dastardly writers killed. <laughs> I don't know that one either. I never heard that one. Oh, but, well, because we've never, you have never heard all of Hulk Hogan's lies unless you've heard every word that's ever come out of Hulk Hogan's mouth. Because it's a different one almost every time. So some of these, yes, are new and entertaining. Hulk Hogan says he used to fight pride fighters in the 70s. What? Pride Fighting Championship was founded in 1997. <laughs> there was no such thing as pride. There's no such thing as mixed martial arts. Hogan wasn't fighting anybody in the 70s except the guy that was overcharging him on his guitar strings. That was that was the whole deal about Hogan is that they were they weren't sure at the beginning because he was just a big guy that played in a band, right? He had the size, but he wasn't an athlete or didn't have any credentials at same like all the other guys they trained in Florida. The Steve Kern was, you know, was had an athletic amateur athletic background, all those guys. But he Hogan didn't. He was just big and played in a band, right? That's right. That's why they had to fuck with him. That's right. He was too busy playing baseball. How was he going to learn how to be a tough guy? Lord. Hulk Hogan claims he was the first to slam Andre the Giant, that Andre weighed 600 pounds when Hogan body slammed him, <laughs> and the lie that Andre died a few days after the slam. Hogan also claimed that he tore 18 muscles in his back slamming Andre. Are there 18 muscles in your back? I'm not sure. <laughs> he didn't He didn't tear a goddamn thing slamming Andre, because as we've mentioned many times, Andre went up for him, because that was the original finish, and he didn't weigh 600 pounds. He was barely, a, what, over five at his death, and that was six years later. And uh, what else is wrong with that? And, and 18 million people, well, not 18 million, but a significant number of people were in the I slammed Andre club way before Hogan. That was probably, well, besides the fact before WrestleMania three in 1987, that was probably the last slam Andre may have ever taken. No, 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 no. Did he did ultimate he, warrior got him a whole bunch of times. Ultimate. Okay. And those 32nd matches or whatever the fuck, but point is that wasn't even the first time that Hogan had slammed Andre. Hogan slammed Andre in their 1980 run when Hogan was heel and Andre was babyface. And Kamala slammed Andre and Kinect slammed Andre and Harley Race slammed Andre and who the, I mean, we could, Anoki, we could, there are the clips. We have gone down the list before. Whoever want, Andre wanted to slam him got to slam him. Anybody he didn't want to slam him didn't get to slam him. According to the Hulkster, he partied with John Belushi after WrestleMania II in 1986. 
John Belushi said he died in 1982. I was about to say. <laughs> he has no shame. He just says anything. And because you know why? Because two WrestleMania two was in New York, Chicago, and L.A. Yeah, and he could put himself in either Chicago or L.A. and both would be people say, "Oh, Belushi would have been there, even New York or whatever." Even New York, that's right. Except that poor John had been dead for four years at that point. Hulk Hogan, and there's a clip here of Hulk Hogan wrestling the Undertaker. Hulk Hogan told the Undertaker that he had caused permanent damage to his neck by botching the Tombstone pile driver. The Undertaker believed him for the better part of two years. Before finally seeing, before finally seeing a tape of the match, which clearly showed Hogan's head came nowhere near the chair, never touched. <laughs> no, but the, he wanted. See, that's another thing. Hogan was very smart. He learned all the old tricks. Make the young guys that are coming up feel in some way indebted to you, or that they should be apologetic to you or deferential to you, or you've got something over, well, you, you hurt me, kid, but, you know, it's okay. That's the business. And then they would be more inclined to do something for him in the future to make up for what they didn't do, him to, do to him to begin with. Hulk Rules, an album released by Hulk Hogan and the Wrestling Boot Band. <laughs> There's a picture of it here. One of the most yes. famous tracks from the album is the tribute song, Hulkster in Heaven. According to Hogan, he met a very ill Make-A-Wish kid in England and got him a ticket to SummerSlam at Wembley Stadium to watch him wrestle in the main event. Hogan wasn't at SummerSlam. He wasn't in the UK at the time. <laughs> so now he's making up Make-A-Wish stories. Hulk Hogan claimed that he was asked to join a startup company known as UFC. While UFC wasn't nearly as popular as it is today, Hogan said he wouldn't have joined because, quote, guys got beat up when the fight should be stopped. While in WCW, Hogan said a pay-per-view bout between himself and Mike Tyson was supposed to commence, Hogan's excuse as to why it didn't happen, Tyson was too scared. <laughs> Hulk Hogan. And obviously, well, wait a minute. I was about to say neither one of those two things ever remotely occurred. And the UFC. So Hogan was going to leave Vince in 1993. And instead of going to WCW, he was going to just say, well, I'll just after 15 years in wrestling, I'll just be an ultimate fighter. It's the dream match we never got. Hulk Hogan versus Royce Race. Hoist Race. Hulk Hogan versus Hoist Gracie. Or Royce Racy. Or Royce Racy. <laughs> Royce, Ra Royce Racy versus Hulk Hogan would have been a main event any building in the country. <laughs> All right, well, let's get back to this man's lies. Hulk Hogan claimed on an episode of Hogan Knows Best that the reason he didn't get the offer for the George Foreman grill was because he was out picking up the kids from school. <laughs> That's not the way business works, folks. That's not the way it works. Hulk Hogan did claim that back in his heyday, he wrestled in 400 days in one year. <laughs> Hogan, and this is my favorite. This is my favorite. Hogan claimed that since he traveled so frequently between the United States and Japan, the time difference made the 400 days a possibility. I never saw that one before. You didn't oh know that's God. the one I always bring up. You never <laughs> saw that one? I never, ever saw that one before. No, that's the greatest thing because obviously 
there in, in, there is some small germ of truth in the concept of part of this in that because of the international dateline and the time of the trip when you fly to Japan you arrive i can't remember which way it is but you either arrive a day later or a day early you know what i'm saying when you because you fly across the international dateline so you either arrive the day later than you than you should have you've skipped a day or you've made up a day but the point is what he's trying to say is that he was working 400 days in one year not 400 times but 400 days in one year because he would fly back from Japan across the international dateline and wrestle twice on a Tuesday, ignoring the fact <laughs> that if you were then to go the other way, you would lose the day that you just picked up, so it's not mathematically possible anyway. So, yes, that's my favorite. Like, he's Superman flying around the world at the equator to reverse the spin of the Earth and turn back time. Well, maybe he did that in this one, too. In Hulk Hogan's autobiography, he made the claim that Elvis was a huge Hulk Hogan fan <laughs> before Hogan joined the WWF. He did work in Memphis. <laughs> However, Elvis died in 1977. Yes. Elvis died before Terry Bollea ever got a wrestling lesson. So Elvis was not a fan of Hulk Hogan because there was no such person. And Elvis was a wrestling fan, and we've documented that. And he he used to love to sneak in the Ellis Auditorium and watch Cora Combs' matches because she was quite a looker back in the late 50s. But if Elvis was ever going to have a wrestling match, it would have been with Jerry Lawler for a shoot. Because they were in Memphis and everybody knew everybody, and that didn't happen either. So, I mean, that, that, let me stop this list for a second. Do you think that's where it comes from? Like, he hears the genesis of a story. He hears something that was real. He's in yes. Memphis, and he hears, oh, when he was alive, Elvis used to always watch wrestling. We knew that. And then he just puts himself in the story? Yeah. He puts himself in, in the story as he sees fit. Hulk Hogan claims that both Metallica and the Rolling Stones wanted him as their bass player. <laughs> Metallica member Lars Ulrich apparently came to Hogan himself to ask him to play with the group. Lars Ulrich's comments were, what? <laughs> Hulk Hogan claimed he had been offered and turned down a so-called Legends match at WrestleMania 22. The alleged match? Hulk Hogan versus Greg Valentine. They were never going to do that as a Legends match at a WrestleMania. No. No, and what 22 was what? That uh, 17 was in Houston, 2001. So 22 was uh, 20 was New York, 21 was LA. I forget what 22 would have been. But about 2006. Yeah. No, that wasn't going to happen. You think, was he just trying to be nice to Greg that day? Was Greg uh, on site when he was doing that interview? It is just so interesting how he just seems to say anything. He claimed he was blacklisted from Hollywood because he turned down a gay producer's advances in the 1980s. What? <sighs> he came up with the idea for the NWO, but he wanted it to be him, the booty man, and the nasty boys. <laughs> now, that's <laughs> what I believe. I do believe that. If he had Brian Blair on there, I really believe it. Yes, I believe that one. Uh, that would have just, that would have been just, just swell. This is an interesting twist on a story you probably have heard. 
He claimed that Harley Race came into the arena with a gun in Kansas City in the 80s and set the ring on fire. (laughs) And then when he ran into Hogan, he shook his hand, thanked him for all he had done for wrestling, and asked for a job. What? That is is the most extraordinary fucking story. He set the ring on fire. Set the ring on fire and thanked Hogan and asked him for a job. With the company whose ring he had just burned. Is the ring burning in the background while he's talking to Hogan? (laughs) If I get him another ring or maybe even just a garden hose, will they hire me? Okay, let's dissect that for a second. Would <laughs> Harley did go in? Harley was part owner of the Kansas City Territory and St. Louis eventually, and, and St. Louis and Kansas City at that yeah. point, the Central States Territory. And the first time that Vince came in, Harley did go there, did he not? And Harley was not happy, was he not? And Harley, I'm sure, if he was on the premises, had a gun somewhere with him. So those things have been documented and are probably pretty true. Yes. Was Hogan even there? He may have been because, you know, again. It was the first expansion. It was 86. Yeah. Okay. He and it was, was St. Probably Louis, which was a big city for them. Obviously. Harley didn't go out in the arena in front of the people and set the ring on fire. That would have been Harley may thing. have. Oh my God. Have, Can you imagine a wrestler just, oh, wait, that's Harley race. What's he doing? Oh my God. He's setting the ring on fire. <laughs> Clearly he's unhappy. <laughs> he must be looking for a job. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's obviously trying to get on here. That worked the last time when we were in Peoria and Paul Christie set the ring on fire. And then we went to Indianapolis and Bruiser set the ring on fire. It was Angelo Poffo in Peoria that set the ring on fire. But anyway, so Harley did go and there was something, there was an altercation backstage, but Hulk Hogan is never mentioned as being a part of it. It wasn't Harley just letting people know what he thought of the whole thing and how they were running his town and everybody was pretty much letting him say whatever the fuck he was going to say so he'd leave. Is the way I kind of remember it. Harley showing up with a gun is part of what I remember, but Harley carried a gun everywhere. Yeah. There was nothing about lighting the ring on fire. He would go there in a couple of years and he would work with Hogan, but I don't. if Harley Race was alive, I don't Hogan. know if, he <laughs> if the story would be out there. Well, also, Harley Race would not have asked Hulk Hogan for a job. Harley, Harley Race would have gone to Vince McMahon since Vince had tried to fucking bribe him just a few years earlier to fuck the whole NWA before the first Starcade. They had that kind of relationship. But maybe, maybe that's because that's when Harley told him, no, fuck off, I'm not going to do it. Vince tried to leg dive him in the restaurant, right? That story's been In the told. bathroom of the restaurant. In the bathroom of the restaurant. I apologize. You can't just leg dive somebody right out in the restaurant. You got to go in the bathroom first. It is an interesting timeline. Vince offers Harley a bunch of money to jump as NWA champion right before Starcade. Harley says no. They get into the fight in the bathroom. Vince, from all accounts, does not come out of it very well, which must have been hysterical when Linda had to go get him. Yeah. <laughs> And then months later, Harley shows up backstage at a show with a gun 
unhappy and everyone knows it's his territory. And then, of course, a year and a half later, he went to work there. That was the wrestling business back then. And well, and then they made him the king of the ring, King Harley Race, and then they booked him in Tennessee and Lawler sued because <laughs> you can't be the king in Tennessee because Lawler's got that wrapped up. And Lawler won the lawsuit because of his 15 years of previously using the king in the state of Tennessee. So Harley Race could not be billed as the king. But see, Lawler didn't show up with a gun when they came in his territory. He showed up with a writ of habeas corpus, corpus delecti, and corpus Christi and went the legal route. Well, because WWE were advertising on shows nothing about the Harley king of Race, wrestling. The king yeah. of wrestling. And who would yeah. that be? So Lawler won that. Here, let's get back to some Hogan stories. Here's a whopper. He sat next to Kerry Von Erich on a flight to Japan 72 hours before Kerry killed himself. Uh, no, he didn't. Nope. No, he didn't. Because, oh God, you tell him. I mean, in a number of ways. First of all, Kerry wasn't leaving the country at all based on his current situation at that point. Let alone he hadn't been in Japan in a while. Hogan wasn't going to Japan either. He was no longer in the WWF. No. Hulk Hogan also claimed he was the wrestler responsible for the WWF first selling merchandise. He had to talk Vince into it. I mean, that could be proved false so easily. Oh, my God. That that the first issue of the WWF magazine was superstar Billy Graham on the cover from 1978 that I've got must be rare because it was never circulated then, apparently. Well, that's a long time ago. How about all those T-shirts they were advertising in 1983? Yeah. <laughs> Hulk Hogan claims he was banned from David Letterman because he stopped Letterman from hitting on Linda Hogan. Hogan has appeared on oh. Letterman many times. <laughs> so that's not true. Either. Yeah, and 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 Letterman has never appeared on Linda Hogan. Hulk Hogan says he used to be 6'9, but now after back and knee surgeries, he's only 6'4. Oh, for fuck's sake. Hulk Hogan, I hate the laugh. I get he, you know what the problem was? He had the the disease that affected uh, uh, Cotton Hill when he, he was blown up by a landmine in World War II, and it, they had to take his shins off. This one I hate to laugh about, but it's I think been proven to be ridiculous. Hulk Hogan says he was going to commit suicide. Literally had the gun in his hand, pointed at his head, when he got a call from Layla Ali. That he took as a sign that he should keep trying to live. A, yes, lot, that, a lot of people have called bullshit on that one. That has that has been debunked, I think, including by Layla Ali. <laughs> yeah, I think by Layla Ali. He said, oh, that wrestler guy? One day he's going to get confused and go, I was going to do it, and then I got a phone call from the George Foreman grill people, and I decided yeah. to talk to them. <laughs> but I missed the call and shot myself in the head. It was terrible. Speaking of shot... Hulk Hogan claims that Vern Gagne got Nick Bockwinkle to shoot on him during one of their AWA title matches, but Hogan shot back and won the fight. <laughs> Here's one that's true, actually. Wait, wait a minute. Hold on now. Let's just not skip over that. Number one, Nick Bockwinkle wouldn't have shot on anybody. If you'd have told Nick Bockwinkle, who was a not only a great professional and what a worker and an intelligent, marvelous human being, if you'd have told him that there was some drama going into the goddamn match and that he might have to protect himself, then he would have probably said, well, Vern, I, I guess you're going to have to find somebody to replace me that can handle that then, because I'm not going to be doing it. And Nick wouldn't have ever tried to shoot on anybody. He never got beat up by Hulk Hogan. And if wrestling was concerned, Nick probably could have tied Hogan up. 
but he would have been the person to to go into the ring under those circumstances and do anything like that with anybody. It's completely ridiculous. Well, this one actually may be true. He said he wanted to drop the title to Piper. Well, that part wouldn't be, but he said he wanted to drop the title to Piper in 1985, but he didn't think Piper would be willing to lose it back to him. That part's true. Yeah, he wasn't willing to drop it, but he knew that if he did, that Piper would never drop it back to him. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, just a couple more here. He wanted to turn heel on the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania 6, but Vince wouldn't go for it. Oh, fuck. No way. He was about to put out his movies. He didn't want to be yeah. a heel. Made no. no sense. Tatsumi Fujinami tried to shoot on him in Japan <laughs> and steal the WWF title, but the Hulkster beat him. Oh, seriously? Fucking Okay, I guarantee you. Sometimes when you're talking about shooting and shoots, as we've said, you know, there's always a wild card going on. But no, Tatsumi Fujinami, who probably, if Antonio Noki had said to him, Fujinami-san, you must shoot tonight for the honor of New Japan, he would have gone in there and fucking stuck Hulk Hogan's toes in his ears and probably not taken too long to do it. But no, that never happened either. Of course, there is... Right here, the Arsenio Hall clip where he says, well, the beginning of it is the things that I am not. I am not a steroid abuser and I do not use steroids. And then he goes on to explain how he used it, I think, three times in his life under doctor <laughs> supervision. Hey, I got this sounds like a there was a guy I, I won't mention his name, poor fella. But there was a guy that worked in Ohio Valley Wrestling. He was here when, when I got here. He was one of the original guys that Danny and Trailer Park Trash and those guys had trained to rip. And, and he was a nice enough guy, but it was he had a kind of a just an old-time goofy gimmick. And I changed it around, and I gave him a different gimmick and put him in with a heel group and kind of fit for a while. His work wasn't the best, but it was a personality thing. But then his real job was he's driving a school bus. And I'm looking here at the four o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon TV news one day. And I'll be a son of a bitch. If they didn't have this guy on the news, they had arrested him for drunk driving of a school bus. Oh my God. <laughs> and apparently he took the little kiddies to school that morning. And then he didn't have anything to do till they got out of school. So he went to a bowling alley and he had a number of drinks at that bowling alley. And then he fucking went, got back in the bus and, Went and got to picked up the kids and took them home. But he had a a clear defense for this. And actually, it's something you wouldn't even have needed a lawyer like Stephen P. New to get him out of this because he clearly explained to the people how he was not under any circumstances drinking and driving. He said, I drank and then I drove. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> drinking and driving. <laughs> what an idiot <laughs> but it was hey it, it, it was a great explanation i was not drinking and driving i drank and then i drove hey he had us there well to wrap this up jim final thoughts on hulk hogan's many lies these are only some of them here that we're sharing again this is from alan underscore cheap shot on twitter follow him he has good stuff the big list of hulk hogan lies what are your thoughts well, certainly not complete by any means, by any stretch of the imagination. Not a complete list, but right there, a, a, a good a good cross section of the various fibs, lies, falsehoods, 
prevarications and outright bullshittery has been emanated by, by Hulk Hogan. As I've mentioned many times, I've said this about Paul Heyman. I'll say the same thing about Hulk Hogan. I wouldn't believe him if his tongue was notarized. I'd believe Heyman before I believed Hogan. Actually, and the thing is, even when Paul lies, the story is so good and has so few holes in it that you will buy it on the face of it because you can't see through it. Well, Jim, before we wrap things up and get a song or two, some sad news here at the end of the show I want to mention. News just Uh coming in. Norm MacDonald, the comedian and Saturday Night Live alum, dies at the age of 61. What? He's been battling cancer for the last several years, but kept it private. Wow, I had no idea. I don't think anyone did. He's been a longtime favorite of mine. His talk show appearances, Dirty Work, has always been a movie that I get a kick out of, and I've always been a big Norm MacDonald fan. Very, very sad to see this. I didn't know he was, he's a year older than me. I didn't know he was as old as me. He, he, I was famous before him, I thought. You were. Well, we'll see, but finally he caught up and, and, and submerged past me. Well, that's, that's sad. And, and again, it's especially sad because here's a fucking guy the same age as me dying all of a sudden. Oh, it's not about you. It's about Norm. Well, it's about Norm being the same age as me. He's older than you. Just barely. You're still a kid. I'm just a young pup, a whippersnapper. Well, very Sna- This is your show, Snap the Whip. This I'm is. sorry let's, about Norm. Let's I apologize. Snap the whip. You want to do it with me? Nope. I, I don't want you to do it, actually. Look on my plate. What do you see? The cult of meat with extra cheese. Oh I want a burger, American cheese, pickles, <laughs> onions, if you please, cause I'm the cult of meat with extra cheese. Like it good and greasy, <laughs> fresh out the pan. I'm the cult of meat with extra cheese, the cult of meat with extra cheese, the cult of meat with extra cheese. Fried or broiled, the cow must die. <laughs> the meat is done, the toppings fly. You won't have to ask me if I want some extra cheese. Now with tomato and bacon too, not a drop of mustard there, you fool. Cause I'm the cult of meat with extra cheese. On the bun, the mayo there, <laughs> I'll eat it in my underwear. Oh, come on. Add a fried egg, that'll make it fine. You can tell that burger's mine. I need that burger handed to me, cause that's the one with meat and extra cheese. <laughs> it's the one with meat and extra cheese. I always wonder what you do with your spare time, <laughs> and now I have a better idea. I think the best line is, the cow must die. The cow must die. <laughs> Royal or fried? There's certainly more WWE programming. It did not end with Ms. TV, sadly. Oh, it never ends. There's always more. More of the WWE. It never stops. It's like a, a gerbil on a on a treadmill or a spinning wheel i guess the treadmill was over at echelon do they have gerbils you remember the the news anchor in philly back in the 80s that was accused of 
being immoral with a gerbil. I thought that was Richard Gere. Well, no, that was him. That, that was actually him too. But there was a news anchor, Dennis Corluzzo and Frank Chili smartened me up to this. He was hounded out of town. Was it John Clark? No, it was not John Clark. He wasn't on the <laughs> John Clark wasn't on the news. What he did with gerbils was none of our affair. It was uh, uh, a guy named Jerry. He had an Italian name. Somebody's going to fill me in on this. The rumors were so rampant about his anal cavity being the home of a gerbil that he had to leave the television news business in Philly and, and move elsewhere. <laughs> how did we get started there? I don't know how we maybe, researched that either. Maybe it's because... The writers of NXT have got something crawled up their ass that won't leave, and they've decided to take it out on all of us. Yeah, there, again, there was a few things on NXT I wanted to see, and I tuned in for that, and I'll give you the high points of the other stuff. Um, The opening segment, basically, they've now, Dolph Ziggler and, and Robert Roode, since... They are immaculate workers and complete professionals, but they have botched their their public personas up to where they're meaningless on their program, so they're sending them to NXT so they can work with the green talent and try to teach them on-the-job training. So there was old Rex Bronsteiner in the ring promo with the NXT title belt, first segment, He's got good oomph. I I can he's more comfortable in the ring doing physical stuff than he is talking, but still for this level of experience, he's great at talking. He can be a little more confident. Uh, but he sounds like a grown man. He gets a little hawk tone. Have you noticed that? Like Hawk would do. Everyone's like, tell him animal. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Hawk tone. He sounds kind of like his dad, too. But Ziggler interrupts and comes out in Ziggler's smooth verbally, right? And he makes a challenge to old uh, Rex Bronsteiner for the the big show they've got in April, WrestleMania weekend. I guess they're going to just work these all these guys, the production people, like 24 hours a day for four days in a row. They've got two nights of WrestleMania. They've got a SmackDown. They've got a Hall of Fame. And they've got a Raw all in town in four days. Anyway, uh, Dolph starts getting on him. And did you see, did you see this program, by the way? Was your, was your power on for this? I had my power. I watched most of NXT. I watched most of NXT and Raw this week just because of your reviews. Oh, well, <laughs> don't blame me. I blame me. you. I blame you. But I liked it when Steiner jumped in and said, hey, because uh, fucking Ziggler knocked his outfit. Ed Steiner fired up and said, they don't pay me to dress up. They pay me to kick ass. I don't know if that was written. If it was, he delivered it like an ad lib. But anyway, this was just some verbal interaction, nothing earth shaking. But tonight, Dolph Ziggler's in the main event against Tommaso Ciampa. And he barred Braun, barred Braun Breaker from ringside. Because he's got that power, evidently. I don't know. I mean, it's a good interview segment. I like watching anything that Steiner's involved in because, I mean, you can just tell, as we've said, barring any kind of unforeseen issue, he's going to be one of the biggest stars in the business. And he continues to not embarrass himself or anybody else when he's put in positions that guys with a lot more experience sometimes botch up. 
Yeah. Your 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 thoughts? I like him on the mic because he sounds like Scott. And, you know, he's one of the highlights of the show. I, I really like Braun Breaker. I hate the name, but I like Braun Breaker. Well, I, li- I like it that you talked long enough so I could mute my microphone and open my Sprite can. And I apologize for being a little distracted, but I was researching Jerry and the Gerbil here, which apparently is a major urban myth in Philadelphia. Jerry- yes. I would, would you think I was lying? Well, I, didn't, I thought maybe it was just something Dennis and Frank Chili were no. talking about. I didn't realize it was something that swept the greater Philadelphia area. It was a big goddamn deal. What was the guy's last name? Jerry Penicoli. Penicoli. That's right. And it was Italian. You can never trust those Italians around their gerbils. Well, don't say that. And Dennis was the one telling you the story, and he was Italian. Well, right there. <laughs> that ought to tell you something. Oh, stop it. Anyway, so next on it, but Jerry Pinnacoli. And that was it's a big deal up there in Philly, right? Especially with people of a certain age. It's it swept the entire city. It was, it was gerbil mania. The guy <laughs> couldn't fucking show his face and God, his face was on the side of every bus in town their nightly news news banner and they'd draw gerbils on it that yeah. really that really sucks though just because i'm looking at various things and apparently it's an urban myth but for that to follow you around yeah. the <laughs> no, entire town thinks you time. left because of the gerbil <laughs> He was run out of Philly with a gerbil up his ass was Jerry Pinnacoli. What does it say? Is he still alive? What happened to him? Jerry Pinnacoli? Uh, hold on. This bio was translated, so... This is better than anything you're going to see on NXT, folks. Jerry Pinnacoli, born July 9th, 1956, is an American actor and entertainment reporter and served as a host with the U.S. syndicated magazine show Extra for 20 years. Before... Going national, <laughs> before going national with gerbil love, no, before going national, <laughs> Penacoli served as a newscaster and talk show host in several markets, starting in Jacksonville, Florida, then Miami, where Jerry served as the host of PM Magazine in the early 1980s, and then Philadelphia. He was the evening news anchor for the Philadelphia TV station KYW-TV, an NBC affiliate at the time from the mid-80s until he moved to New York City in 1990. So I guess that would have been around the time you heard the rumor. Well, what does it say was the uh, the instigation for him to leave? Does it mention the the beleaguered gerbil? The- There's nothing about gerbils on Wikipedia, but it does say that he worked on the tabloid show Hard Copy from 1996 to 1999. He was also the first male host of Lifetime's Attitudes... With Linda Dano, I don't know what that is. Prior to Warner Brothers, his broadcasting career included stints at E! Entertainment Television, where he hosted the Entertainment Network's live coverage of premieres and events, and Paramount Television. He also co-hosted Richard Simmons' Dreammaker. All right, what about Little Jerry? Jerry the Gerbil. Get to, the, get to that. I don't see anything in Wikipedia, but if I go to Jerry and the Gerbil... Uh, Jerry Pinnacoli was in a Baltimore hospital after a gerbil died. See, we don't know what... Well, just read what it says. We're grown adults. We can make up our own minds. For those that don't know, back in the early 1980s, a Philadelphia news anchor was caught in a Baltimore hospital with a dead gerbil in his rectum. In Wikipedia, they claim it's an urban legend. However, I remember quite clearly when Philadelphia news legend Jack Jones 
the first black news anchor in Philadelphia, reported on KYW3 News that Jerry Penicoli was in a Baltimore hospital after a gerbil died in his rectum from a cocaine overdose. Wait, what? <laughs> the gerbil no. died of a cocaine overdose in his ass. <laughs> I wasn't aware. I thought, the gerbil, I thought the gerbil just died of asphyxiation. Get an asphyxiation? I wasn't aware that the gerbil was down there doing lines. After the incident, Jerry was demoted to Channel 3, and when his contract was up, it was not renewed. Soon after the incident is when all the fake Richard Gere stories started. Oh, those were fake, but Pinnacoli, he had a cocaine-addicted gerbil up his orifice. Everybody could believe that. I can't even imagine having fun with a gerbil like that. It just seems like a really bad idea, especially if it's coked up. Well, you got to declaw him, Brian. You've got to, that's, I'll tell you what, that's very important. They've got to be declawed. And also, if you'll hold them down and pull their little teeth before you. Yeah, good luck cutting the nails of someone high on coke. <laughs> well, they don't like it much. But you got to pull their little teeth and declaw them. And then, especially if you get a fuzzy one. But try not to eat chocolate for at least 48 hours beforehand. I have to say, this is the most memorable NXT review we've ever done so far on the show. <laughs> well, let's get back to the program. <laughs> Jerry Pinnacoli will be hosting NXT next week. So after we got huh, the uh, opening interview, Grayson Waller beat L.A. Knight. Uh, next week, it'll be Howie, the mailroom guy, beating L.A. Knight. And boy, does he look like a wrestler. And I haven't seen him in a while, but... He's in shape, he looks like a wrestler, and he loses. Yeah. So they, so they treat him like a wrestler, too, actually. Yeah, yeah, they treat him, they beat all their wrestlers. Uh, Wendy Chu is still sleepy. Uh, you notice that. Um, they had a girls tag team match play, huh? Did you notice that now the, the goddamn... Uh, Briggs and Stratton, they had was no. Wait a minute, that that was after that was afterwards, because I was I was going to say all of these people are socially awkward, but the girls tag match. Remember, what's her name? Jesus Christ, uh, the one that's in love with Loomis, Indy Hartwell. Indy Hartwell, yeah, was was adopted by the Gargano family. But then they're gone, so now she's in a tag team with Persia Parada. But there's some fucking clown, Duke Hudson, I think, that Persia came up and just laid a big kiss on because she thinks he looks so hot. But then Indy sees it and goes, what are you doing? And Persia runs off because Indy apparently used to have a thing for Duke, but now she hates him. But now Duke was there with lipstick on him and he's talking to Indy and then the camera pans over and there's Dexter Loomis, the boyfriend who just puts his head down and walks off and Indy says, oh, it's not that way, Dexter. This is fucking bad romantic drama for eight-year-olds, isn't it? I guess yeah. they don't care when they're eight. They're 12, 12, 11 and 12. 
Uh, after the girls tag, Dante Chin got beat up by old Duke Hudson for a while. What were you going to say? I just want to say that I was still researching the um, the issue here at hand. <laughs> at hand or at, at bottom? And I found an article called The Complete History of Gerbling So Far. <laughs> you know what? This is better than NXT. Fuck it. Go ahead. Give me a complete history of gerbling. Well, I don't want to do the whole history because it's a very long history of, <laughs> of gerbling. <laughs> and although I am a historian, I don't know if the I want to go. World deep we this. have not been aware of. Uh, well, give me the give me the the cliffs notes. Well, I did find one specific paragraph that I bumped into while looking at this, and here's what it says: In 1990, a piece titled "The Trouble with Gerbils." ran in the LGBT publication The Advocate. In it, media critic Catherine Sipe mentions a TV weatherman from Wichita, Rick Siegel, who was pressured into resigning from his job because of gerbling rumors. Gerbling! Scant consolation to Siegel, but he wasn't the first newscaster to, <laughs> he wasn't the first newscaster to be so afflicted. In the early 80s, as is recounted here in Ebba Link, a Philadelphia KYW newscaster named Jerry Pancoli suffered career damage after a rumor started that he visited a local emergency room to have a gerbil removed from his colon. You see, that's misleading because I think this person's leaving out the fact that the gerbil was addicted to drugs. Yes, it wasn't local. Baltimore is 100 miles from Philadelphia. <laughs> So, and, and it really, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of people addicted to drugs and wake up in a place they don't know how they got there or what they're doing there. It doesn't mean it had to be Jerry Pinnacoli's fault. He could have been asleep on a park bench with no pants on and his fucking ass cheeks spread out as wide as possible. And the gerbil comes along down the street, minding its own business, snorting cocaine, and just decides, well, that looks like a fucking checkers drive through I need to go in and get some French fries. And boom. I found another article here from the from the website Rectal Foreign Bodies. <laughs> That's a way to make sure. Is there any spelling or underscores on that rectal foreign bodies? We want to get that, get, make that a popular site. A candid discussion of gerbils. And other things people reportedly cram hopelessly up their ass. <laughs> and the first line of the article is, medical science is still unsure why men stick foreign objects up their ass. I <laughs> uh, just want to see if there's anything here about Jerry. Uh, kind of the same thing as it had over there. It says that it did a lot of damage to his career, as you would think it would when people like Dennis and Frank Chile are walking around town spreading that story everywhere they go. And not to mention the damage to the digestive tract. But <laughs> nevertheless, we'll continue. Trick. You remember Trick? Of course. The 605 Super Podcast. The Mothership! Eh? Oh, shit. My gerbil got away. Go through the archive today at 605pod.com. Search for the 605 Super Podcast wherever you find your favorite podcast, The Mothership. Uh, you and these fucking gerbils. <laughs> well, it's time, it's time for us to move on 
to AEW. But wait a minute, breaking news here. I have an update on what we were talking about earlier. Because I've gone to a, I saw a provocative headline. And I've gone to this website. The website is called immediatesafety.org. And there is a story uh, on this website. The headline, practice safe gerbling. Why duct tape is necessary. Duct tape? A, a duct tape. And, I, you know, I knew you could do anything with duct tape. But apparently, <laughs> as we made reference to just logically from common sense earlier in the program, it says here the issue of safety arises when you realize that these creatures have sharp parts that can cause intestinal trauma. And apparently the the uh, suffer the illness that you suffer from when you insert all manner of things into your body bodily orifices is called polyembolocolomania or something like that. I think that's the annual big event they do in AAA. It possibly might be. Uh, but we, the, the guy writing this article spoke with several veterinarians who had performed declawing procedures, but very few who had done it on gerbils. One, in fact, screamed at us and called us seriously disturbed individuals for asking if they had declawed any gerbils. Uh, they did find one guy who said he'd do it. His name was Vladislav. And the sign outside his clinic read, Veterinarian, I cut your dog balls good. But anyway, most of the non-sketchy doctors that were spoken with stated gerbils need their claws and teeth and removing them would be cruel and inhumane. So they were forced back to the drawing board and the best that they could come up with for making the practice safe was the use of cloth-based duct tape on the sharp parts of the gerbil. And duct tape is very difficult to get into gerbil mouths. Uh, so they opted to use a dab of pre-hardened silicone caulk. This, I mean, forgive me, I don't know this world. I'm not fluent in this world, but this seems like a lot of work. Maybe just don't use a gerbil. Well, it also says uh, down at the bottom, uh, it ends with the issue of retrieval. For the sake of the gerbil, use a leash. Not only will getting the little guy back go a lot more smoothly, it'll eliminate the need for an embarrassing trip to the ER because the doctors and nurses apparently treat those x-rays like six-year-old boys treat Pokemon cards. Forget about the ER. The ride to the ER must be brutal. Well, you'd have to ride like Terry Funk did on the planes when he broke his tailbone and had to sit on his knees. But that's immediatesafety.org. That, uh, that website. What did you search for that you ended up with immediate safety.org? Uh, well, I just put gerbling and uh, below gerbling in Wikipedia. Actually, the top listing is gerbils on eBay. Seriously, we have everything. And then gerbling Wikipedia and then practice safe gerbling. Why duct tape is necessary. All right. And then Richard gear gerbil story, the definitive history and fact check. The definitive history. Definitive, it's definitive. <laughs> They've got all the all the details are in. This was as of November 2019. Ah, so some of the gerbil historians have been working on the story, updating it, and now this is the most revised version of it. Yes, the the 
And they do say, why the fuck is a gerbil always the rodent of choice? That's a, a question that they go into in this article. But nevertheless, you want to go back to the AEW, or should we go farther in this? Uh, oh, well, there's zoophilia. No, I'd rather not go further into whatever this is. And or let's there's go. formicophilia, What's which that? involves not just gerbils, but other kinds of small critters. Generally, these things are living, or, the doctor explains, at least they were living when you put them in there. All right. Gold, goldfish are... Uh, what? Goldfish are popular. Eels are pretty popular. More eels. often... Oh, uh, eels are pretty eels. popular, but what? women... Goldfish are more popular with women. And Moondog Maine. And Moondog Maine. All right, well, somehow I tied it back to wrestling, and let's continue on that strain. All righty. I'm getting strained already. <laughs> so AEW was on television again, much to no one's surprise. Jim, let's stay on the topic of the Hall of Fame. This question was sent to Courtney Drive through at gmail.com from Scott in Florida. He sent in a quote from Nikki Bella about the Hall of Fame. Wanted to get your thoughts on it. Here's a quote from Nikki Bella. And I'm also so excited that the WWE Universe will be welcoming Vader into the Hall of Fame. Hold on, I'm trying not to smile. I I swear, yeah, this was not where I thought that was going to go right off the bat. I always get excited for men of that generation to come to the Hall of Fame because they have the most incredible stories we've ever heard. Excuse me. Oh my God. We've never heard. Wait, hold on. Hold on. on. Let me go back. Uh, They have the most incredible stories we've never heard. And I always love when those men take the stage and the women. And from the era of wrestling that was so iconic and so historic. So. I'm really excited for Vader to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. She doesn't know he's dead. And just to have his presence there and hear, oh my God. And hear his speeches. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why is Nikki Bella commenting on Vader? <laughs> How old is this woman? Oh, she's got to be in her uh, mid-30s at least, I would think. Where did they, how did they get in the wrestling business, the Bellas? Where did they come from? How did they become wrestlers? I might be wrong, and please correct me if I am, and someone will, but I believe their future father-in-law, John Laurinaitis, because he married their mother, Yeah, found them in a... Swimsuit catalog. The lingerie, when he was doing the lingerie catalog business? I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe that's how they were found. Oh, Christ. No wonder. Well, and see, you know, when the... Either that or a cattle call. I was one of the two, but they weren't like, you know, oh my God. Well, say what you want about the Bellas, but they don't look like cattle. (laughs) But they didn't go to, uh, you know, Slammers Wrestling Gym or anything. Apparently, they didn't ever see wrestling or and haven't noticed that it was a thing since they've been in it to <sighs> fucking hell. Uh, yeah, in, in OVW, we got the stories that Laurinaitis, about, this was what, 2004-ish, 5-ish, and he did it for a few years, would look through lingerie and swimsuit catalogs for the divas 
and find their agents and sign them. He sent a couple of them to OVW. I've told a story. The one girl started running the ropes and got faint and had to sit down. And I don't think we ever saw her again. Um, so that's believable, but shouldn't somebody have told her that this is a posthumous induction before she started ranting about how much she loves hearing stories from people of that generation? Apparently not too many. She does not love hearing stories about too many of them. Is she the one married to Danielson? No, no, that's her sister. She was the one that was dating Cena for a long time. Well, fuck, you'd think either one of them, just by osmosis, would have been able to impart something into the wind tunnel known as the brain of the Bellas. Good Lord. <sighs> Twin Sables. Twin Sables. Oh, Here stop we go. it. Stop oh, Come it. on. I would hope that no one says anything and that someone can go up to her and go, hi, I'm Vader. I just really wanted to meet you and say hello and thanks for your oh, comments. That, yes, thank you for everything you said. <laughs> thank you for, I'm happy to have your presence here. It's not about my presence, it's your presence. They're the, the Joe Franklin line. I've been a fan of yours for many years, many years. You remember Joe Franklin? You're a New York asshole, of course right? I, am. I have one of his books, yeah. Okay, the Hall of Fame ceremony in 1996 when they put the Valiant Brothers in. I remember that specifically. Um, he's at the goddamn, you know, the party or whatever the thing they're having in catering, Joe Franklin. I believe they did it at the Marriott downtown in New York City. And anyway, Joe Franklin, for those of the, you and the rest of the world and, or who are younger, had a local television talk show in New York on, what was it, WOR, Channel 9? Channel 9, yeah. For what? 75 years from the dawn of <laughs> dawn of television until he decomposed very long time but not that institution long. in yeah. the you know but he's in showbiz right so there's terry runnels is marlena and she's been marlena for what like six months at that point and joe franklin walks up to her and she's dressed up as marlena the gold jacket she's holding the cigar she looks great and everything and he goes up and shakes hands with her he says I've been a fan of yours for many years, many years. She'd only been Marlena for six months. He had no idea she'd been in the wrestling business before that. Fucking, what was it, Alexandria York or whatever? He did. He's just, that's what he said to everybody. I've been a fan of yours for many years. Uh, what was the question? By the way, here's what's not said enough. Better looking as Alexandria York than as Marlena. Actually, she was because the the Marlena was supposed to be so over the top and severe that uh, that she was more classically attractive as Alexandra York. Although, when Pillman won her right before that bad blood pay per view, and we'd done the the vignettes where he had made her over a bit and and gothed her up a little and sleezed her out. <sighs> All right, well, before this gets too sleazy, let's move on. Yeah. Here. You're getting too comfortable over there in your chair. I can yeah, hear it right yeah. here. You can hear it squeaking, can't you? I can you? hear what's going on, but Jim, let's move on. This is not dated, but it's from 1997, and we might can narrow down the the season a little bit better. But 
a couple of weeks ago on one of the programs, we had ideas that uh, our favorite stain had come up with for Shotgun Saturday Night Live when that show was debuting, and they were trying to figure out the concept of it and what was going on. Well, I found another two pages of notes here that were circulated, and this time it was signed. Ideas regarding talent roster, Vince Russo. So he's taking credit for this one. And every once in a while, and I don't know that this was the, the names I'm seeing on here are all the people on the talent roster that were kind of floating aimlessly, that were not figured into anything, were not uh, actually doing possibly well in their current incarnations, whatever, the people on the roster that they needed to figure out some way to change, tweak, or do something with, right? So this is not the entire roster. And every once in a while, Vince would ask for ideas on such and such people, or sometimes he'd say the whole roster, or evaluations or whatever. Sometimes JR would ask the same thing. Uh, but in this case, it appears that, because I don't remember anybody ever asking for ideas for this list of people, so I think he's taken a bunch of guys, like I said, that were kind of floating and been proactive. Because the one thing that you would get, as we've talked about from this fellow, is a lot of ideas. So I just thought we'd go through some of these. Mark Marrow and Sable. Remember when they were going to, uh, um, well, they they revamped. They revamped Marrow about three or four times, but they switched him heel at one point and tried to give him a new look and a new attitude, right? Because originally he'd come in as a baby face with her at his corner. And as I'd mentioned to Bruce, why the fuck is anybody going to cheer for him when he's got this blonde with big hoo-hahs in his corner? And what's what's her purpose for being there? Well, she looks great. Well, what's her purpose? She's not his manager. A valet generally accompanies a an obnoxious, egotistical heel. So why is this guy that you want people to take as a baby face who's only position in the business thus far has been impersonating little Richard. Why do you want her to come out with him? And what are the people supposed to think about it? And all they could do, well, they look great together. That was Bruce's thing. That was Vince's thing. It was never explained what her purpose was. So Mark Merrill and Sable, this idea sheet. I think we should go on as scheduled with Merrill and Sable in regards to his new look and new attitude. Well, that's nice of him to say that. Since I don't know at the time that he was officially on the creative team here. That's what we got to narrow this time frame down. From there, I believe that Mero should start abusing Sable out of jealousy. Oh my God. Which in turn will turn the fans against him while they cheer for her. That was the problem originally. When he was a babyface, they cheered for her and he and she turned the fans against him. He was a spare prick at the wedding. He was useless. They were all looking at her. So anyway, he says she sh he should start abusing her, which in turn will turn the fans against him while I cheer for her. At the appropriate time, a top baby face, maybe dude love in parentheses, should go to the aid of Sable, who in turn will go with that baby face. Then at the appropriate time... 
wait a minute, up top baby face should go to the aid of Sable, who in turn will go with that baby face. Then at the appropriate time, Sable will screw the baby face in favor of Marrow. In other words, it was a work orchestrated between Marrow and Sable all along, thus firmly pitting the fans against them. It's absolutely Vince Russo because it's a swerve. The swerve. Yeah. And actually, he's stealing and didn't even know it. He's stealing the fucking dirty white girl and dirty white boy and Tom Pritchard angle from Alabama 10 years previously, and he didn't know because he'd never seen that. However, I love it. He says at the appropriate time, a top baby face may be dude. I'm pretty sure this is in one of Cactus's books, but if it's not, or even if it is, there was a time and it may have been WrestleMania 97 that it would fit. There was a time where the idea was, and maybe, you know, maybe it's 98. I can't remember, but the idea was for, and it could have been 98 because Mick was figured in by then. So it had to be 97. The idea was Mick Foley versus Mark Merrill in some respect, right? Following along this idea. And they told me to call Mick and tell him that he'd be on WrestleMania wrestling Mark Merrill in this, and this idea that they had involving Sable. And I called him up and I pitched it to him and there was silence on the phone. And then he said, Horny? I don't know if anyone's ever asked you this before, but is it okay if I'm just not on WrestleMania? <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> he knew it was it was death. He didn't want to work on WrestleMania with Mark Merrow over Sable. So anyway, they, they changed it. Number two on this idea sheet, Tiger Ali Singh. Remember him, Tiger oh Keith yeah. Singh's son? Another of the, he was like the, Hindu from Ontario version of Carlos Colon's kids in Puerto Rico. Had he always been the the hero's son, and he assumed he was, you know, destined for greatness. So, uh, actually, old shit stain here. You know, sooner or later, a blind squirrel will find a nut, and I've got to say that sooner or later, I always knew I would agree with something he said, and here it is. Tiger Ali Singh, just let the guy be himself and the fans will genuinely hate him in capital letters. Doug Furness and Phil LaFon. Remember one of the one of the great tag teams of the 90s for All Japan Wrestling, but by this point, LaFon's knees were shot and he was not the, the guy that he once was. And Doug Furness was a beast and the world's strongest man and an athletic marvel, but they didn't fit in the WWF at the time, like a lot of just good working tag teams didn't. And I think that's right around the time people started to realize just how beat up the All Japan guys were. Yeah, because they'd been in All Japan for 10 years. Furnace and LaFon blanket them in the Japanese flag and have Yokozuna and the Patriot join their cause at the appropriate time. (laughs) Yokozuna and the Patriot? The Soldiers of the Rising Sun. So he's going to turn Del Wilkes the Patriot. This is okay. This is summer of '97 because Del had just come in by that point. Yokozuna was not let go at that point. Um, I think we may have he may have been in Duke at that point. Uh, number four, Mark Henry. Let me come back. To Wait, this. hold on. You're going. You're going Go way too fast past the Sons of the Rising. Oh, Sun okay. Sons of Soldiers of the Rising. Soldiers Sun. of the Rising Sun. So it's. Furnace and LaFon draped in Japanese flags with Yokozuna and the Patriot? Yes. Yes. 
right, maybe it, maybe it didn't go too fast past enough. <laughs> well, yeah, see, Furnace and Lafon, we saw they've done great in Japan. And again, Vince Russo had never seen Doug Furnace before he showed up in the WWF. He hadn't seen him in Continental. He hadn't seen him in All Japan. He hadn't seen him on WCW. He didn't know what the fuck he could do. So the Patriot would have had a... The Patriot would have had to, to turn heel and become a Japanese sympathizer. He would have come out of the Bret Hart feud, upset that America didn't prevail over Canada, and announced that he's renouncing America, and he's joined forces with Yokozuna. Yes, who's Samoan. <laughs> and number four, Mark Henry. As I, let me come back to this one. That's what it says. Let me come back to this one. Number five, Flash Funk. Remember Two Cold Scorpio, Flash Funk. Easy. Charles Skaggs and let him be his high flying self, flying with an apostrophe and no G. Maybe rub him up against Ahmed Johnson in their cause against the nation. Rub him up against them? Yeah. Is it a black thing? Yes, that's what it is. <laughs> Have a conversation with Skaggs and find out for yourself. Let him, I don't know what he's, let him denounce the gimmick and just do what he does best. Maybe the nation recruits him. Maybe they don't. I think they do. He says, no, they kick his ass. And perhaps he recruits Ahmed and Mark Henry to help him kick theirs. How about the posse? Let them be what they are. And that isn't a prejudice statement. Not no D on the end of prejudice. It's not a prejudice <laughs> statement. Wow. Remember, remember Rick Bogner. The fake razor. Yeah. Rick Bogner cut his hair, put him with Tom Brandy, and you have a beautiful Italian hitmen team. But real Italian gangsters don't kill them by gimmicking them. I don't I don't understand. Real Italian gangsters unlike what, Tony D'Angelo? Like what is he saying? I don't have any idea. How if you if if a guy is obviously visually a gangster, an Italian you know I know what? they don't have a mafia type of thing. No, no, but I mean, if they did, Hollywood. yeah, if they did, that'd be something. I will say, I'm not going to totally shoot down that one because if you really think about timing wise, that would have been right before The Sopranos. So timing wise, it may have worked out with Tom Brandy and Rick Bogner. Well, no, I'm not saying <laughs> when you add the details, then it kind of kills it. I mean, Tom Brandy is Italian. Yes. And and sincerely you know, Italian, yeah. Sincerely, I don't know about Bogner. Is Bogner an Italian name? <sighs> All righty. Remember Bracus. Oh, who could forget Bracus? His real name was Ockham Albrecht, and he was a German bodybuilder with a freakish physique and nice guy and even the combined efforts of tom pritchard dory funk jr and everybody else involved could not teach him how to wrestle Bracus, Bracus will be over the same way ahmed was by looking at him everyone will want to be him what <laughs> i don't Either he thought that <laughs> he wanted to be Ahmed. <laughs> who knew? Or or he now bear in mind who's writing this and who the audience is. He knows that Vince is wrapped up in the ah. physiques and, and everything. So potentially, but I don't know that anybody ever looked at Bracus and said, I want to be that guy. Especially after they saw him try to wrestle. Or fight. um wasn't he in Brawl for all? 
Uh, yes. And remember, he he had the robot arms in a shoot fight. Imagine how he worked. Darren Drozdov. Easy. I love it. Easy. Is he proud? Oh, it's easy. I can figure all this shit out. The Draws is a suicidal, suicidal, crazed football player who was cut from the NFL because he was unbalanced, a deranged and disturbed McMichael, who was on the other channel, Steve McMichael. I don't think he meant to say that he wanted Draws to be suicidal. I think he was mixing that up with because, you know, old Shitstain used to watch ECW for all of his ideas because he couldn't figure out any of his own uh, that applied to wrestling. So I think he's more of homicidal or even genocidal. He's going for the Sabu tagline, so homicidal, suicidal, genocidal. But he picked out, I don't think he wanted Draws to be depressed. You remember when they first put out those Sabu shirts? This was the first sign that was real heat between Taz and Sabu. Taz was the person in charge of making the shirts for ECW, at least at that point. And the Sabu shirt said homocidal, not homicidal. Oh, my God. They misspelled homicidal, so it said homocidal. And a lot of people back then were pointing the fingers at Taz saying, that's how much he hates Sabu. That's what he did. Never proven, though. Never proven. A lot of people can't spell. (laughs) That's true, too. And when you point a finger at someone else, you have three more pointing back at you. But uh, Lanny Poffo said that one time. Um. The power saw has just started up. I was going to say, was Lanny blowing himself while you just said that? What was that? Holy mackerel. Now, come on. He did not have to take any ribs out surgically to be able to do that. That was a complete rumor. I was naturally limber. Number nine, the honky tonk man on our list of ideas from our favorite shit stain. Honky Tonk Man, say goodbye. In 1997, the honky tonk man isn't going to cut it no matter how much he entertains us. And this was at the time, you'll recall, when Vince had brought Wayne back to manage Rockabilly, who was Billy Gunn, as they were trying to rehabilitate him. Harley is in the background upset at the contractors for running the power saw downstairs. But she's so cute, we're going to leave it in. And by the way, so Wayne, now you know what Vince Russo thought of you in 1997. Wait, that was it? That was basically just fire honky That was man. just firing. Just firing. Yeah. Don't send him out to do public relations tour because people know who he is from the golden era. Don't fucking have him do radio stations or, you know, on sales or whatever. Just fire him, send him home. It would have been something if it was like, have him go away and come back all in leather if the comeback special. <laughs> but no. Number 10, along these same lines of get the fuck out of here, Fatu. Please forgive me, but I think we've done everything with him that we possibly can. <laughs> and remember, again, that they'd gone from the Samoan SWAT team to Fatu to the Sultan. He was supposed to be Middle Eastern and, and wearing the fucking turban. And, and as a matter of fact, one time, Vince, I've told this story, he called Fatu in to give him his notice. And Afa and Rosie and Jamal came with Fatu to the meeting, and when they left, they all four of them had jobs. He not only didn't fire Fatu, he hired the other three. Anyway. Um, and this is obviously before Rikishi, which would yes. elevate him to a new level. 
And finally, so we hadn't done everything with him we possibly could. He just needed to gain another 100 pounds and show his ass. Uh, number 11, Bart Gunn. This one really troubles me. I think he's a keeper, but I don't know what you do with him. In looking at Bart, again, forgive me, you see a good old boy. I don't, I don't know why you would forgive someone for saying that. He's a good old boy. I don't know if he's capable of overcoming that. He needs to work on his promos, which doesn't make it any easier. Number 12, Barry Windham. As remember, Windham and Bradshaw were the new blackjacks, which did wonders for the hair dye industry, but not for either one of their careers. Have him turn on Bradshaw and make him a modern-day redneck bounty hunter. Maybe the hit was made because somebody puts a bounty on the head of the blackjacks. Little does Bradshaw know, but his partner, Wyndham, was the one paid to do the job. That's all they were paying Barry Wyndham to do at that point was the job. Do you think the Italian tag team hired him to do the hit? You know, that would have thrown suspicion away from him. Listen to the next one. So, Barry Wyndham, eh, make him a bounty hunter, whatever, but Eric Watts. Eric Watts was still under contract from that Techno Team thing, right? Techno Team 2000, him and Chad Fortune. This is what he has to say. Could have elite potential. Read on. Elite in quotation marks. We're going to pause on that one for a second. So the original elite wrestler was Eric Watts? Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) Justin Bradshaw. What else can he be besides a badass cowboy, a real believable shit kicker? Justin Hawk Bradshaw was a gimmick. Make him a badass cowboy. Dustin Rhodes with an edge. (laughs) Justin Hawk Bradshaw was a gimmick, but Justin Bradshaw as a cowboy is not a gimmick. Anyway. Now, he didn't spend a lot of time at the bar with the wrestlers, right? No. No. And so in terms of trying to figure out who Bradshaw was for real versus the gimmick, what his knowledge would be would just be backstage conversations. Backstage in the locker room or on the phone or whatever. Um, And I'm not saying, I didn't spend any time in the bar either, but I knew what the fuck the wrestling business was about. But here we go at the end. Uh, Well, I'm going to transpose these last two. The last one on the list is Yokozuna. Yokozuna, join forces with Furnace, Lafon, and the Patriot, the soldiers of the rising sun. Or he could become a member of the Hart Foundation. (laughs) Are there any details about how he would do that? Yes, yes. Here's the details. There's a lot of history there, so it could make perfect sense. That's the explanation for why Yokozuna would join the Hart Foundation. What history? That they'd wrestled each other, I guess. But anyway, the last two (laughs) names. Rockabilly and Jesse James. Oh. Which, of course, would become Billy Gunn and Road Dog, right? New Age Outlaws, yeah. Well, remember, Eric Watts could have elite potential. With Rockabilly and Jesse James... Not easy, but simple. Simple. All you people are, you're just idiots, because this is simple. Billy Gunn and Jesse James can join Sean and Hunter as members of the elite. (laughs) He calls them the elite? He calls them the elite, because there was no Degeneration X at this point. 
Behind the scenes, these guys are a natural fit. Just let them be themselves and it'll work like a charm. Maybe Watts can fit in this group. Maybe. Can you have seen it? Billy Gunn, Road Dog, Shawn Michaels, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and Eric Watts. You know what? If you want to say anything good about Vince Russo, he was certainly trying to do something nice for Bill Watts. But wait a minute. There's also another couple of suggestions. Maybe He says, maybe Watts can fit in this group. Maybe he can't. Christopher can. He's talking about Brian Christopher. Christopher could have, and actually Christopher, Brian Christopher, as a over-the-top personality and a smartass would have fit right in, maybe. And then the last line, I swear to God, I'm reading this. I have it on paper. I will have it notarized if anybody believes I'm making it up. He's, so he's gone through the people that could be members of the elite. Shawn Michaels, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, possibly Billy Gunn, Jesse James, Road Dog, maybe Eric Watts, maybe not, Brian Christopher, and the last line, Sonny can fit if you let them abuse her. <laughs> Come on! I swear to God! Why would they have to abuse her for her to fit in this? Because apparently <laughs> all all cool guys abuse their female fucking tag along is according to the ideas that this guy has. And he, and he has to use the word abuse. <sighs> but anyway, that's, uh, there's some more ideas from the font of knowledge. It started with abuse. It ended with abuse. And in the middle, he invented the elite. So, but now, you know, now that, it all makes sense because I've been seeing the current modern day elite thinking, well, that that's an idea that Shitstain would have had. And son of a bitch, it was. You did mention something to me earlier I wanted to uh, bring up about a complaint letter you uh Well, I got, a, I got a couple of things here. Um, this is actually, we all got copies of this, but I got, co I got a copy. Remember I said they appointed me as Sonny's official liaison with the talent relations department, right? Because I was the only one that she wouldn't drive crazy. And I was the only one that didn't mind talking to her because everybody else had lost their patience. And I, you know, I've in the past, I've not wanted to embarrass Tammy unnecessarily, but she's done a pretty good enough job of that on her own recently. So why not bring this up too? But basically when they they determined that Sonny, as we talked about in the USA Network poll, Sonny was the only girl they had, the only female talent they had that Sable didn't get. Because everybody, Sable, the two Vinces were in love with Sable. And because of that, she got a big push and she got a lot of prominent spots and she got the Playboy thing because Sonny turned it down. I was there at that time, believe it or not, folks, Sonny said, I'm not taking my clothes off in Playboy. So Sable got the fucking deal. And she didn't care because she found surgeons all over the country to prepare her for that moment. But everybody latched the, the fans. Sonny was the most downloaded celebrity on AOL because she had the personality. You could tell she wasn't just a plastic bitch. She had personality, good, bad, or indifferent. If you wanted a good girl, you wanted a bad girl, whatever the fuck, she had it. Plus, she had the hotter photos. You have to say and that. And she had the pig. Yeah, the those whole Those photos of her on the beach, those are hotter than any of those Sable photos at that time. 
But then they figured out that, well, now we've got a problem because she started out as a heel valet with the body Donna's. And of course that killed them, not only the gimmick, but also her being there. Cause everybody was paying attention to Sonny. And it was like with Sable with Marrow. It killed him because everybody was looking at her since nobody really had heat, heat in the WWF at that time. They liked pretty girls. It, she looked the same exact way in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I just dressed her a little differently, but because they knew who she was and her gimmick, she was a snooty fucking Wellesley College graduate that was a Hillary Clinton devotee and fucking pitching for, you know, uh, female equality and female uh, rights and et cetera. And none of the fucking people in Tennessee wanted to hear that. So she was a bitch and a heel. And she had as much heat as I did, more heat than any heel in the company. And then she goes up there and she gets put in an underneath gimmick. But now she's a pretty girl dressed sexily with no reason to be mad at her. And they start cheering like crazy for her. Okay. But then what do they do with her? They couldn't figure out a way to make her a manager because she'd have to be a heel and the people are cheering for her. It would kill the heel. Well, there's no reason for a babyface girl to just come out and wander around. And obviously, Sonny was not a wrestler, nor was Sable, and there weren't any female wrestlers on the roster at that point. So they make her the goodwill ambassador, where she just comes out on TV every once in a while so the guys can ogle her, and they send her on the road to do ticket on sale dates and appearances and stuff, and they were trying to figure out ways to use her without her actually being at ringside, which she hated because she wanted to work at ringside and she wanted to be a manager. And also, when she became the most downloaded female celebrity on AOL or whatever, that's when the ego started kicking in and she started getting the big head. So the decision was made to include me in the loop on everything related to Sonny from Talent Relations so that I could be the one to tell her what they wanted her to do because she wouldn't argue with me. But I also got copied on all the documents. Here's one from Todd Pettingill to Kevin Dunn. See, now remember Todd Pettingill was Kevin Dunn's boy. And Todd did a morning radio show in New York on what was the station? You probably know. WPLJ. It was him and, um, yeah. him and Scott Shannon and... It was the lamest fucking show ever. You know, <laughs> to say it, but Scott Shannon actually was a big time. He was from Memphis. That's he right. did radio in Memphis and was a big wrestling fan. But biggest fucking head you've ever seen. Just a giant fucking head. You got to like see this a, guy like a fucking bucket. But anyway, so Kevin Dunn had hired Todd Pettingill to do these things. And he had a Todd had a deal where he barely ever had to even go to a show. Every once in a while, he came to the studio. He could do voiceovers from his house on this line they had put in. And he was making six figures a year because he's Kevin Dunn's boy. And Kevin Dunn liked real broadcast people that weren't in wrestling. So Todd doesn't send this to Jim Ross, head of talent relations. He sends it to Kevin Dunn so he can send it over. Kevin, I just wanted to inform you of a few situations as they pertain to Sonny and myself. I was asked by Vince through you if I would mind giving Sonny a ride every Saturday to Shotgun because they both lived in New Jersey. <laughs> Right? <laughs> I was unwilling to help out in that situation, and this is why. I don't trust her and do not want to be alone with her. 
And by the way, Todd Pettingill was a fucking pussy. Oh, he come was on. A goddamn, and no, come he was on. a pussy whipped pussy. He was he was he was scared like crazy of this. It's the same thing when they had Jenna Jameson. They did the shoot with Jenna Jameson and Val Venus in Bruce Pritchard's house. And and Bruce's wife got mad that she was naked in the hot tub. In their hot tub. I'm like, fuck! Bring her over to my house. Bronze the hot tub. There you go. Um, autograph it at least. Anyway, Todd continues, I was unwilling to help out in that situation, and this is why. I don't trust her and do not want to be alone with her. I feel she thinks her star is rising. And there isn't anyone she won't make up a story about in order to get where she wants to be. I feel I have always been a team player and wanted to express my reasons for saying no to this request. Sonny tends to be overly flirtatious, and it makes me extremely uncomfortable. At that point in time, Sonny was not sucking up to Todd Pettingill. She wanted to fucking ride the shotgun from New Jersey. But... She was flirtatious with everybody, and he was a nervous Nelly. But this is what the the greatest part was. Secondly, I wanted to express what I thought was inappropriate behavior on her part. When I did a shoot for Shotgun at my residence in New Jersey in January, where I played the part of Elmo, remember (laughs) the fondle Elmo? (laughs) This was another... I did not realize that was him for some reason. This was another fucking thing that Vince came up with. It Tickle Me <laughs> Elmo was the hot Christmas toy that year, right? That's well, right. Yeah. Sold that everywhere. They got this big Elmo costume, and Todd Pettingill had to get in the Fondle Me Elmo. It was Fondle Me Elmo, getting the uh, Elmo costume, and Sonny did some kind of business. They shot at his house. There was a film crew there. And I remember her calling and going, what the fuck is it? Anyway, uh, Vince called us on his, <laughs> on his way to my residence to explain what he wanted from us, and Sonny went ballistic. After Vince hung up, of course, she was ranting and raving about how she was going to, quote unquote, bury you. And he's talking to Kevin Dunn now, and she hated Kevin Dunn, too. Well, I mean, like the entire population of the fucking eastern seaboard. but. She was going to find a way to make sure you suffered, in quotation marks. There were several people around during the shoot, but she said these things directly to me. She then locked herself in my bathroom with her boyfriend, and they commiserated for 15 minutes before reappearing. That obviously was Candido. I just wanted you to be officially aware of these situations. Thank you for your time. Fucking. (laughs) And I mean, it's great because... There was an element of that. Yes, Tammy was going crazy at that point, and also she was flirtatious, but like Pettingill, fuck, he wasn't high enough, enough on the totem pole nor attractive enough. But again, top-rated top radio show in New York City. <laughs> he had a spectacular mullet for the time. <laughs> he had a very, very uh, colorful outfit, usually. You don't know. You should have seen the first time I named him Todd Petting or called him Todd Petting Zoo. Well, there it is. We hope you have enjoyed Jim Cornette's Omnibus, Funniest Moments, Volume 1. Of course, check out the drive through any experience, wherever you find your favorite podcast, and, of course, the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. But until you hear us again on the drive through and the experience, for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!
Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Says I'm in 